can get your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the Green Dragon. Welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast. Now, we're taking a break from our, our Locked Up Army episodes to, to talk to, to some of the podcasters and YouTubers around the scene, and some of, some of my favorites, of course. So with me, I've got on Harry. Hello. And Lachlan. Hey, everyone. Yeah, so Harry from, from Entmoot and Lachlan from Zorpazorp, of course, which we'll never forget those names. <laughs> We've got a few topics this episode. Normally we stick to one topic, but uh, we're going for a few this time. We're going to keep them a little bit shorter than my, what is it, six hours and four hour epics that have been coming lately. It's been a, <laughs> a bad habit to get into. It's eventually we're going to get a 12 hour episode by accident, probably on, probably on Ruffians or something like that, just to, just to talk. It's, it's going to be bizarre. They have been pretty epic. I've loved them though. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, they've been, they've been good. It's sort of, I will go into this in just a moment because our first segment is going to be on uh, how our hobbies changed. But I've just sort of abandoned time constraints whatsoever and just said, just talk as long as you want about things. And the people on have talked a lot and I've talked a lot. We're passionate about things. So oh, it's, been, it's been good and something to, to fill the time. So our first segment is going to be on uh, how our hobbies changed in sort of the last six months or so since since we've been involved, involved in the pandemic. Then we're going to look at um, a few other topics as well, which we'll go through throughout the episode. And I'll put them up in the notes as well. So you can look ahead of time and, and choose whether to listen to them or listen to them twice. Who knows? So let's start with our first segment. So, Lachlan, we're both in Australia, but we're in very different parts of Australia. So, our experience has been a little bit different over this time. Uh, I saw you in person at the start of the year, I believe it was, or very end of last year, somewhere somewhere around that time. Started yeah, this year, right, in the, right in the middle of, of, of January, so the, the very beginning of 2020, before the madness descended. Yeah, and I think that was my last actual tournament event. So, can you just talk about how, how your gaming experience has changed since then? Well, since we had Ardor Unleashed at the start of the year, uh, we uh, had another little tournament here in Brisbane in March, which was the last time I had played a game of Middle Earth until uh, just this afternoon, incidentally. Uh, so there was a, a pretty big gap in our uh, gaming calendar. We've had no official tournaments. Everything is very much shut down. We're nowhere near the kind of state of lockdown that you guys are down south in Australia. Queensland and northern New South Wales are, are doing really well and really luckily uh, so, uh, but but we're still not in a place where we're ready to hold tournaments or events. But we're we're talking about it. The admins of the Queensland League are saying, okay, you know, maybe it's time to have that first small event with a, a lot of safe protocols in place. So we're we're perhaps moving back towards uh, gaming. Uh, but because of that, my hobby and obviously my hobby is infinitely tied up with my work has shifted away from from battle reports uh, and been focusing a lot more on, on the hobby side of things. Uh, in terms of miniature painting and and terrain, which has been a, a nice little break, actually. Have you put out more content lately? Do you think, or have you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just a little. Um, yeah, it's been a big year, a big year. Obviously, the the first the first chunk of the year, we were pushing out a lot of Middle Earth content. I had uh, a big battle report that we filmed in February with the uh, the Pelennor Fields battle report, and that was you know six players filmed over one 
massive 15 hour day and that video went really well um and that was sort of the actually that would have been the the last time i played a, a big game and uh, and that was you know a lot of players in a room and, and certainly something that wouldn't be possible now so we got very lucky to kind of get that out uh and then uh since then we launched our um a, a community project here in brisbane called the uh, covid19 minas tirith build and the whole frame of that was as a community we sort of we realized that we couldn't really do anything together because of this state of isolation. And so uh, the admins and I of our Queensland group kind of got together and we were like, all right, well, what can we do together apart? And so we developed this idea of building the city of Minas Tirith in parts, uh, having people all over Queensland and the country and now eventually the world working on buildings and towers and gates and uh, siege weapons and painting up models so that eventually when there's a, a safe time where we can all come together in large numbers and game again, we can build this massive city, bring all the pieces together and have a huge 30 or 40 player uh, siege match on one huge table uh, and uh, and really kind of kick off and, and celebrate the return to gaming with a bang. So uh, in, in light of that project, that's kind of really been driving my Middle Earth world. I've been releasing terrain guys on how to build walls and how to build towers and houses uh, and people all over Brisbane are, are following those guides and we've got people down in Australia and we even have people all over the world in, in the US and Germany and the Netherlands who are building stuff and sending it to us so that we can put it into our Minas Tirith build which has just been absolutely mind-blowing that people would spend their hard-earned money to carve and time carving beautiful stuff and then chucking it into the post and sending it down to us so uh, as it stands, I can see it behind me. We currently have, what's that? About two and a half meters of the Minas Tirith outer ring wall complete. Nice. Um, and uh, we're hoping to get about six um, or maybe seven all up. Uh, and then it's and then we'll have a lot of buildings and then the upper levels. And yeah, so it's, it's certainly been really kind of, that's been driving my Middle Earth focus. And yes, as Jeremy alluded to, 9th edition 40K did come out. And boy, have I been smashing that hard lately. But Middle Earth will take back to the fore very soon. <laughs> no, I don't blame you for that at, at all, and we'll, we'll talk about that maybe a bit later on as well, but the project looks really impressive coming along. Uh, I Early on, I think I committed to, to making some stuff and totally let you down, which is usually my, my strategy for that sort of <laughs> type thing. Do you still need some siege weapons? I've still got some... Absolutely. Uh... I mean, the great thing is, uh, and I, I say, I use the word great probably inaptly, but uh, the longer the pandemic goes on, the more time we have to build Minas Tirith. So we're going to be building for quite some time, I'd say, because we're not going to hold the event until you know, we can really game properly. And, and we want to, we want it to, we want our friends in Victoria and our friends in New Zealand who are planning on flying over to play to be able to do that. And, and that could still be a year, 18 months away. Who knows, really? Our initial plan was to tack that event on as part of Ardor Unleashed and have the first two days of that four day event be the Minas Tirith celebration event. But Ardor Unleashed was scheduled for next January, uh, and who knows what January is going to look like now. So there's plenty of time, Jeremy, for you to still contribute. Don't worry about that. <laughs> good, good, good. That means more time to let you down as well. So that that's good. So I can lead you on <laughs> a little bit more and and keep that going. I'm very excited about that. I do want to contribute to it. I would love to be involved in it, but as you said, it's it's hard to predict the future. But it, it's sort of because you've brought people together. It does feel like we're all involved in some way, just with all those videos you've got and and the fact that people overseas are sending things over just just really impressive. And it, it it's maybe for some people it's not a lot of effort but for some people it's a huge amount of effort and, and for it's, everyone that puts any effort mind-blowing yeah fantastic stuff, yeah 
I'm intrigued, Lockie, um, you, with your um, the video channel and doing, moving into 40k more and doing the do sort of private hobbying and you know painting miniature just for yourself. No, I don't have private hobby anymore. Unfortunately, it's been a casualty of of Zorbazorb, and I I don't do anything unless I'm filming it. And that is there's a double edged sword to that. It's that obviously yes, my my personal hobby quote-unquote personal hobby gets a, a bit annihilated but the other edge to that is that if I can make sure that I'm making stuff I actually want to make and that I actually care about then it makes my job fun and that's awesome so what would I be doing if I wasn't filming this for my YouTube channel I'd probably still be building Minas Tirith because that's that was that's on the list you know and I've always, you know, with this latest 40K content, I, I'm not just, you know, making that for views. I love 40K. I played it for a decade while I was a teenager. Um, and I've been desperate to make, uh, you know, big epic narrative campaigns. And, and that's kind of the common theme that I've developed as the channel has sort of kind of evolved and, and found its real direction is that narrative and, and story is kind of the through line for Zorpa Zorp on all of its content, whether it's 40K, Star Wars, or Middle Earth. All I care about is narrative and cool stuff and, you know, reenacting my favorite moments from movies and the lore of 40K. So, yeah, I, I just, I try and, you know, always make projects that I'm passionate about and that I enjoy because then I get to enjoy my hobby, but through my work. And then hopefully that means that the videos are engaging because the viewers can tell that I care. But yes, I haven't sat down and painted something just for me in a year. Oh. Wow. Hmm. Hmm. That's uh, I don't know how I'd go with that because I'm the kind of person that, that I get almost very sick of something once it becomes my work. So I've, I've intentionally tried to make sure that this is not a job for me. And sometimes it feels like it and occasionally, but usually it doesn't because it's like, like doing this part is the fun part. But I, I can't imagine. I, I guess my personality probably wouldn't suit that as well as yours does. It's It's a really tricky balance managing... You know, I, I was just chatting to one of my mates, Harry, the other day, a different Harry to the Harry joining us tonight about <laughs> managing burnout and making sure that, you know, you don't kill what you love by turning it into your work. And obviously this is, you know, Zorpa Zorp is, is my livelihood and, and it's what I use to, you know, put food on the table for my family. So sometimes I do have to make business decisions, but at the end of the day, I still love what I do so much and I feel really privileged, but it's it managing, you know, it being fun and it getting, you know, the work done and, and being the right content. We're, we're sort of segueing into our second topic already here, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll touch on this later on. But, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a really tricky balance having personal hobby uh, and mixing it with work. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to give away too much of our second topic, which is obviously about podcasting. Uh, that that's all sounds good. So I guess you're in a situation because you work from from your your home office, essentially your home workshop, whatever you want to call it, studio. Um, that that you probably haven't been in as or life hasn't changed as much for you as for some other people during this. But I imagine the the no gaming would be a real challenge. Yeah, it's that's. That's a really good point. I, I obviously I work from home. I have a, a bedroom <laughs> that I'm in, or or an office, uh, and you know a, a garage, and then a storage unit. So that's that's my work. So uh, you know I, I can't exactly be quote unquote laid off from that, or or have employment kind of difficulties in that. Obviously, COVID has changed the landscape of the 
community that we work in substantially, although, you know, a lot of people are at home and, and probably viewing YouTube more. So I've been very fortunate, unlike a lot of people in a lot of industries that, uh, yeah, I've my job is from home. So I'm able to kind of keep that up, uh, which has been really, really lucky. But yeah, it did so I did sort of, like I said, have to make some changes, not being able to film battle reports all the time meant that, for instance, we have had to delay our second season of Battle Companies, which Jeremy has four beautifully sculpted miniatures that he put together, especially to feature in Battle Company Season 2, and they're in the display case behind me. But we're probably not going to see them now for probably another six to 12 months because, uh, you know, we can't have five guys in a room playing a, a Season 2 campaign just yet anyway. Uh, so, yes, we, I've had to shift and change and make some plans, but, um, you know, that's, that's, that's always life. You've got to kind of roll with the punches. In general, I've been super fortunate. Mm-hmm. I've got one more question on that about how your life's changed in, in the lockdown, Lachlan, before we move on to, to Harry. After the last FAQ with the, the Rohan changes, <laughs> there, was, there was, seems to be a correlation between Middle-earth content and, and those changes. Is that true? Is that, is that something that, that affected you deeply? <laughs> Yeah, after after gambling's might points were taken away, I've actually quit Middle Earth. Um, I uh, I've burnt all no. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, the FAQ. Yes, poor old gambling. Um, yeah, I mean, I think well, this was on our little beat sheet of of point, points to fully discuss. So ma- maybe we should touch on it in depth with the three of us putting our opinions sure. on <laughs> further in further in the podcast. Uh, but no, the the pure coincidence of uh, gambling uh, losing his amazing might and the all the 40k content it's 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 purely a coincidence it's it's not there's no correlation oh damn <laughs> to be fair gw have kind of abandoned uh, uh, middle earth for the brief period that, during lockdown haven't they i guess they want to flog the, uh, the the money horse first oh, yeah, and foremost absolutely. rather than uh, rather than trying to release you know a couple of mate orders for us lot yeah, Games fine. Workshop are, are, are in a tricky position in that uh, the way that they make amazing profits is by running this incredibly streamlined business model and making sure they're keeping costs cut wherever they can so that it's sleek and elegant, very modern way to run a company. The downside of that is they don't have a ridiculously large warehouse in the UK. So when an event comes in that says, all right, you've got to social distance all your workers, their output of their warehouse is a huge choke point in their supply line. So they literally are prioritizing individual SKU codes so that they're not having to, you know, pack so many orders. So yes, Middle Earth is no, nowhere near ninth edition 40K in terms of what it's bringing in for them financially. So they're definitely prioritizing that as, as they have to because they've only got so many orders they can get out every day. But as that kind of eases back, you know, we've just seen this week that um, Aoma and the new book for Middle Earth are going on pre-order this weekend. So, you know, it wasn't too long that we uh, we got put on the back burner at least. Exactly. Now you've dated the episode. I've got to get this out quickly then. Thanks a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Harry, uh, I, I'm, I'm actually very interested to hear from you because I imagine our experience is going to be quite different from 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 you. The, the world it feels close in some ways, but but this this event has really made us all sort of separate again. So how's how's the the change has been for you? I guess I guess here in the UK, I mean, it, I, you, you'll know, and, and most people will know that it's one of the it certainly was one of the worst affected countries in the world by all this in terms of sort of cases and, and, and deaths and things like that. So so it, it's been quite 
strict for a very long time but then it's also been easing slowly as well so it's it's been a bit of a mixed bag in terms of how how and when we can do things but I guess for me personally the um lockdown hasn't affected my work I'm I'm a journalist I work in radio so I, I I've been still going into work I've worked from home a bit as well but largely you know a lot of people here have been furloughed so they've had um uh, had time where they've been uh you know uh, essentially the government's paying their wages um, uh, so they can stay at home and people have had you know hobby time and all this sort of stuff and or even just working from home and not having to commute an hour each way I suppose gives you that extra two hours I know a friend of mine Michael Haskell who I've uh, played doubles with a good few times good friend and he he doesn't have to work away anymore he he used to have to travel to edinburgh and all around the country all the time but now he's just found that he's he's able to stay at home so he's he's able to do a lot more hobbying than usual so it, it, i guess it's affected other people differently than it's affected me but i think actually the main thing that's affected me is the the lack of tournaments um big gatherings of course an absolute no-no and um ever since starting Entmoot uh, early last year um i've been going to a tournament probably every two or three weeks and um, sometimes more often um, than that so it's been a not being able to see my friends that i i see at these tournaments all the time but um also just the whole process of going away for the weekend and and meeting up with people playing the six or seven games and 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 also the the preparation that goes into those whether it's uh, recording the podcast bits and editing the podcast bits so um, uh, or, or painting an army. Uh, none of these things have been happening really because um, everything stopped. So, I, so I, I found that during the early part. Um, so we're talking March, April. I set myself a task of building Kirithungal, um, which I filmed and put on my YouTube channel, um, Battle Games in Middle Earth YouTube channel, and um, that was great fun. And that kind of kept that. I was riding on the crest of the hobby wave of of the tournaments that I'd been to, as it were. Um, but once once that kind of died away, once the there was nothing left to complete, I wasn't I wasn't working towards anything in May. I didn't I didn't have a tournament on the horizon. I didn't have any idea when I'd be able to play a game next. I kind of stopped really. I I, um, I, I prepared some models and uh, some Easterling models and been sat on the table for a very long time. And it's only in the last three weeks or so that I've actually started painting them. And I've now got what fifteen. Um, Easterlings that I've painted up really nicely, which I'm quite happy with. But yeah, it, there was that that brief period in the middle where I thought I don't need to paint any Middle Earth. Um, I want to, I'd, I'd, I'd like to, but there was no kind of, I guess, no kind of deadline to force me to do it. So it changed changed dramatically for me in that sense, and even picked up some 40k models that I haven't uh, in many many um, years painted. My Necrons that I'd had kind of in a box under the bed for a rainy day and I guess the rainy day turned out to be a pandemic and I painted um about I don't know 10 Necrons uh, over the last couple of months and then then I'm not going to play with them I'm not going to play 40k I hate the game uh, I, it's been rubbish ever since Apocalypse ruined it but um other than that I yeah I, I enjoyed the models and like Lockie I enjoy the lore I grew up with it so so I guess that's my lockdown I've tried to do some of the podcasts that are, are varied and all that sort of stuff that I've tried to keep keep up with it in some ways but it's not been quite the same let's let's be honest mm, yeah it's, it's a tricky one so you haven't taken all the time to to get lots of painting done it's been a, a a lack of motivation without the tournaments yeah exactly yeah i think just lack of motivation really um and you know i, I guess i guess it, having that deadline has always pushed me to do something i love doing i love painting models and uh, don't get me wrong it's not some, a part of the hobby that i dislike it's just that I've kind of thought, well, I kind of want to paint these for a tournament and 
and I, you know there's there's no tournaments and still i mean there are on, on the horizon some um uh, events in early september that are uh, going to be uh, covid secure we call it here in the country uh, in in the uk with masks and hand sanitizer and stuff and i'm not sure how well that's going to go um, i'm not sure how fun it'll be but i guess we'll just have to wait and see but um it's nice uh, the idea of actually going and playing some a tournament with six games is you know that's, that's a really exciting prospect for me so are you at the point where you can have uh, like people over for a game or is it is there some sort of restrictions there? You can have people over. We, we're meant to social distance and keep two metres apart in the house and um, sanitise our hands and all this sort of stuff. And we're allowed to go to uh, pubs and restaurants and uh, gaming halls. Uh, but any shop you have to wear a mask in. So, so you know, that, and it, it is uncomfortable uh, playing two hours with a mask on. And, and you, you, there's the communication barrier with, with uh, you know, with your mouth covered. It makes it all a bit more muffled and things like that. But... Um, yeah, we are allowed to. But the thing is, the reason I have always gone to tournaments was because I find it difficult to slot in the odd evening gaming at home and um, because there's not as many people in the area who play the game. But also um, just my time is often all around, all over the place working shift. So it, it means that it's just not, not that easy to um, to get people over. Although having said that, I'm planning to have someone over next week to, to play a game. But yeah, it's, so it's been it's been a strange one. But I guess at least I've been able to have that first game since lockdown, which was which was really nice. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like looking forward to it. So my experience has been quite a, a different one actually because I've um, I'm a teacher by trade, of course. Some of the listeners know that, but I don't tend to go on about it too much. But we've ended up. Um, First thing, we're just worried about whether we keep a job, but then we immediately had to change out all our teaching style and all our resources and all that sort of stuff to be able to uh, teach remotely. So we, we ran a, a full curriculum essentially with students <laughs> quite far away and, and in their in their rooms, in their bedrooms often and all that sort of stuff, which is really tough to do because uh, with all the rules, we can't really communicate in the same way. So oftentimes we don't actually see the students. We just see their little icon pop up. We, we chat to them in like messages, but don't always get a response. Lots of calling of parents and my, I've ended up working um, quite a lot more than I normally would and long, long hours, like as soon as you wake up, you start checking the emails and then basically sometimes you check them and I'll get a, a flurry of them at 10 p.m., 11 p.m. and have to have to go and answer them at some point. So sometimes you're tempted to answer. In our first lockdown, we did that. We started easing restrictions. We we're all excited. So we did some some easing there and we started getting some games in. So I've been able to, to play some games. Uh, David ran a little club for at his house. So we had a couple people over regularly and we played our games we tried to keep our distance and all that sort of fun stuff and and it was the same group of people each time so it was a pretty pretty closed group and i got some scenarios in and that was amazing and i got my gundabad troll catapult done for that and played some scenarios and then um our cases cases started to rise again so we got our second lockdown now and it's it's more restrictive than the first so i'm back to back to teaching back to to doing lots of work in that way although I'm, i'm a lot more calm about it this time because i sort of know what to expect and we're all getting better at it a little bit. So we, um, at the moment, we have to stay within five k's of our house. We're only allowed to leave for like work and uh, food and and that sort of stuff. Exercise for an hour a day. All that, all those sort of restrictions that other people around the world have have had at different times or different levels of them. So it's it's a bit different and it's a bit tricky as well because like the other parts of Australia don't have those same restrictions as well. So uh, it, it feels a bit different there, but. Um, I've been basically doing lots and lots of painting and, and recording long podcasts and putting them out every once in a while. But the the painting has really kept me going because after I finish my work, I might get an hour or two 
in a night if I'm lucky. Uh, most nights I can because there's really nowhere else to go or anything. And I've um, painted, grabbed an old game out of the garage for, that I haven't touched for, for 10 years, Dreadfleet, and painted the whole thing from start to finish. I was really proud about that. Oh, wow, I remember that game. Yeah, I saw those I, photos. I remember awesome. Oh, I'll have to, I'll have to check those photos out. I remember that game coming out and buying it and getting really excited about it and then, of course, vanished and then I'd never ever play the game, I don't think, but... Yeah, so I was just excited about it, and and as much as anything as a painting project, because I I don't really care if the game is good or not, because it's going to be I'll play through it, I'll have some fun. I'm actually hoping it's it's relatively simple. I haven't gone really into lots of depth because eventually, like maybe my kids will want to have a go at it. I might do some simplified rules for them because they they're interested in the boats and ships, and they've been painting some spare models as well. Um, they're they're quite young, so they've been just slapping the paint on. Although, um. My my daughter, who's the the younger of the two, is is quite interested in it. So that's been a bit of a bit of bonding, and and having a project has really helped me. So I'm the kind of person that that needs to be doing something, and if I don't have something, I feel kind of I feel the weight of all the th- stuff that's going on. So that's really distracted me quite a bit, which I've been really happy about. Yeah, I found that um with the with the Kirithungal build that I I did because uh, when everything suddenly hit the whole lockdown was introduced and we we're all t- stuck in our homes and 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 I was working home for a little bit at the early part of the the pandemic and um I, I felt kind of I, I like you like you say I, I'm I'm I, I'm I find myself kind of the the pressure and the a- anxiety of it all. I, weighing quite heavily and especially with not being able to see groups of people i'm quite a social person i like to go out and interact with lots of different people and and the the prospect of that was quite uh, a horrible thought so having a big um, uh, a big project like like a, a castle to build which i'd always wanted to do um because i love the scenes of kirithungal um i i thought well i'm gonna i'm gonna crack on with that and I'll, I'll i'll do that and it'll distract me for a few weeks and it absolutely did and then the editing process took ages as well so uh, so i had something to keep me going through for a whole of april and by the by the time april was done i was i was more used to it all and it felt all more kind of a little bit more normal i guess even though it was it has been far from normal yeah i think it really speaks to like the different types of gamers that we have uh you know we have a, a lot of people love to use their hobby as an outlet and you know that sort of therapy kind of you know uh, relationship with their hobby but then you know you have and harry's kind of got a foot in both worlds i guess but you have uh, like a, a lot of people you know they need that deadline to work towards to actually mm-hmm. motivate them to get any you know pain on the brush and uh that was something that we were kind of uh really worried about in our community because we we know that a, a lot of our a lot of our guys and girls don't really do anything hobby wise unless they've got stuff to motivate them and and it's all about like oh you know I've worked out my list for Brizcon now I've got to get those units painted up um and you know without without the tournaments like Harry said you know it it can be really hard to find that motivation which is kind of like a uh, part of that reason for the whole Minas Tirith project was we you know we we need all these troops we need all these gondor all of a sudden people are like oh yep I just painted up 40 gondor that i never would have painted before you know ryan started up a whole new gondor army we had yeah so all about creating that kind of uh that milestone that uh, to give people something to work towards so that we could try and keep our community a little bit more active and engaged than everyone just going oh well i've got no tournament to play to get ready for i guess i could just pick up this video game and sit on the couch and not actually do any hobby you know try and keep them hooked <laughs> but it's it's a tricky one yeah, and and I noticed you you and uh, Damien and Steve doing your live streams has 
clearly helped that uh, a lot of people who have been sort of watching and painting along with the videos and you know i've been able to uh, join in for a few of the videos and, and just just sit there and just, just feel like you're part of a group of people who are doing the same thing so at least you're not you know kind of on your own painting which i know for some people can be a, a a daunting prospect but um, just being there and having a chat and having a having a laugh along with uh, those live streams has been has been great yeah it's been we've been getting really great engagement too which is really nice because obviously a lot more people are at home and because of where i live i'm in australia i'm often streaming at six or seven a.m in the morning my time to connect with the larger audience internationally in the uk and america and all of a sudden i've had way more american uh, australians and kiwis watching because they're not at work because <laughs> they're at home, so because uh, because you know they've been furloughed or or uh, you know may even more unfortunately may have lost their jobs. So um, we would that I think that that has played, or I'd like to think that that might have played an important role for some people in in keeping them connected to their hobby. And, and I almost kind of feel like as creators in this space, we sort of have like a bit of a duty to keep going and 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 try and uh, keep people connected to their hobby because uh, you know hobby is is a, an important outlet in dark times. Yeah, I found that that um, especially early on, people kind of uh, there were a couple of people messaged me saying, "How are you going to do it?" and and you know, people were really nice about and um, some of the things that I'd done, like uh, some of the even just the re- I did uh, early on, I did a couple of um, like clip shows, as it were, doing a couple of podcasts where um, I went back to old interviews that I'd done before and reran them basically in a kind of friends style rerun, which I thought, <laughs> oh, this could be a bit rubbish. Um, but a, a couple of people were really nice and saying, "Oh, I'm really." glad you've done something and had a bit of a chat and and i i as part of my role as the um marketer for the gbhl uh the hobbit league here in the uk i i wrote the, these long posts about stuff and got some people to do painting guides and and things like that and people have been really supportive about it i think i guess i don't know whether i i, I if I'd have just gone, well, you know, I don't have to do anything it's not it's i don't have to it's not my job it's not like you unlike you i don't need to earn any money off it it's nice that um, people are willing to support the things and uh, so that i can buy new gizmos and gadgets to make them better but um but ultimately it's not my job so i, I could have just left it for six months and come back to it when tournament started but yeah you do feel a kind of pressure and and a kind of desire to do something because you feel like well I, I i want i'm doing these uh, podcasts and these videos because i love the game and i love the community and i love uh, being part of that and uh, doing those things means that i guess i can help keep it alive you know be the banner bearer as it were or keep that torch burning yeah it's times like these that all the community organizations are just so important like the gbhl and the various leagues around the world for really connecting people and and keeping them all engaged so props to all of you admins around the world and league coordinators keeping the fire burning <laughs> mm, yeah because it's so easy to, to just let it go and and move on to other things and i think there's a lot of people who have had changes in in hobby and that sort of stuff just because of the the change in lifestyle so keeping that interest going has been been really good and i i do love the idea of things like the the live stream and the community engagement and that i haven't actually had a chance to to get in on the live stream because well i'm supposed to be doing work at that time and and i, <laughs> yeah, I probably the should do morning. it <laughs> kills you jeremy sorry <laughs> 
No, which is which is fine because the, there's I can watch the the reruns of it if I feel like it, and or put I sometimes put the ones where you're playing the games. I just fast forward to that part and put that in the background while I'm doing some painting because yeah, it's fun fun to get involved in that. I think my one of my models turned up in one of them at some point, and they did. Yeah, your uh, <laughs> your various little the the battle. See, that was it when you sent me the battle companies here. So I was like, well, these guys have got to feature somewhere. So they started appearing in scenarios they should never have been in, and we gave them special rules, and they dominated Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, some of your rules I didn't quite follow. So I'm thinking, I, I must be new to this game. I don't quite know what's no, this going on. There. The, the, rule, the rules are a bit loose on those live streams. They uh, they quickly evolve and special rules appear out of nowhere. We, we keep it interesting. <laughs> they are funny. They are funny. So that's that's all good. Now we've we've definitely uh, set up our next segment. So we'll come back very shortly with some some talk about specifically our uh, content that we're creating and and a little bit about that, a bit about the process, and a bit about uh, what to do if if you want to get involved as well. So I'm excited about this episode because not not usually we get to be particularly self indulgent. Although some would argue that that every episode is particularly self indulgent, but we're talking I think about the Mordor one was particularly self indulgent. <laughs> are we, we going to talk? Are we going to talk about the siege weapon rant or? <laughs> Well, okay, I, I, I take most of those rants out. I think they're all pretty calm during, during that. But I want to hear the uncut versions. <laughs> you really don't. You really don't. We try not to to swear. We'll go into that a little bit, but we try to keep it clean. And we try to we try to sometimes present other sides of the argument, although we probably don't do a very good job of that at times. So uh, I want to talk about actually the the whole idea of making content. So you two are both content creators, as our, our listeners know. So we're looking a little bit behind the curtains here about that. And, and I know that a lot of people have been putting up their own content of late as well, which is really impressive. So I just want to talk about about that a little bit. And, and if someone wants to get involved, they've got some, some spare time with a microphone, what they should do and and get involved because it's something that, that I think we all find rewarding but, but challenging at times. So my first question is, Lachlan... You run yours as a business. So I want to go into approaches for that because I think that a lot of people come into this thinking that it's a way to get easy money and I want to dispel that pretty quickly. So I just want to talk about just the, some of the approaches that you take to, to make it profitable and, and the challenges there. And then Harry and I will respond with our, our opposite views on that because I don't think we do as much. So how do you, how do you make it a business? Well, I, I can happily shatter the illusion that it's <laughs> that it's easy money. Yeah, it's it's it depends on you know what space you're operating in, and and, and if you want to try and make it, you know, as a as a, a YouTuber or, or or if you want to make you know hobby content, there's there's different mindsets, and you need to kind of consider what you're really after. 
if you uh, are just in love with the game and the community and you just want to make stuff and and you know maybe put up some videos or, or whatever that's absolutely awesome and and in that essence my advice would be just do what you love and and keep it fun and make sure you enjoy it because the moment it becomes like work and it's not your work and it's not earning you any money then you know you're finishing work to go to work and you're just going to drain your soul so if it's if it's fun hobby content make sure it stays that way um or if you are hoping to become like you know this all these buzzwords like content creator or influencer or you want that to become <laughs> you know part of your financial kind of career path then you need to kind of ha- yeah really have a bit of a plan um and uh and and get really lucky the the days of i've been a youtuber quote unquote for a long time zorpazorp this sort of you know current iteration only i launched in 2017 but i've been lo- chucking stuff up on youtube for probably a better part of a decade and and I was just a, a hobby creator, you know, the very first videos on my channel that are very hidden and cannot be found by anyone are, um, you know, stuff when I was a teenager, just making things to throw up on forums and show to my mates. And, you know, for a while there was uh, other, other we, we used to run a Nerf club and, you know, wear cameras and shoot each other with Nerf guns and, and chuck that up on the channel as well, which somehow got leaked and is already all over my community Facebook page. <laughs> but back, back in the day you know, you used to make quite a lot of revenue from ads on YouTube. Uh, so there were a lot of creators uh, early in the in the piece who could kind of get to a, a mid-level and, and make a reasonable amount of revenue. And that is definitely not the case anymore. There's a lot more YouTubers, there's a lot more content to take a piece of the pie and, and the advertising revenue is less. So you need to have an intelligent plan about where your revenue streams are going to come from, whether that's by building a community and then running a, a Patreon or uh, some sort of pledging service, uh, or you're building a community to launch products or launch Kickstarters, um, or you're, you know, maybe you have a, a, an online store, or you know, you need to find a way to monetize your content so that you can pay the bills uh, because relying on just YouTube to get rich, it's just it's not remotely feasible. So in terms of my own personal way that I do it is that, you know, I have uh, a a really important community um, and they're incredibly generous with the amount of support that they give me uh, on on Patreon. And then I also have an online store where I sell products that are related to, you know, things that I do on the channel. So, you know, scenic supplies and basing materials and tufts and glues and, and all that kind of stuff so that it's it's intrinsically related so that when I'm using those products in the videos, people are like, wow, I really love that product. And then hopefully they go and buy it from my store as a different sort of way of both supporting me, but also getting something out of that relationship and, and getting a really cool product. So that's how I'm managing to keep my head above water and and pay the bills by the incredible support that I have on Patreon and and combining that with the online store and then the very meager return uh, that I get from YouTube ad revenue. So it's if if you're going to be serious about the content creation, it's about make sure making sure that you you plot a path that has appropriately and realistic revenue streams and working out how you're going to tie this content that you love uh, and and actually make it profitable because yeah YouTube itself it's it's just yeah unless you manage to get really really lucky and mm. uh, and blow up um, then uh, you know you're not really going to make that much money from ad revenue it's not nothing I'm not certainly saying that at all but it's 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 not a, a huge amount of money and then there's the whole you know actually launching a channel and, and being getting it able to access any viewers and cut through that's like a whole separate conversation but uh yeah that's that's sort of the first point being serious about where the money's coming from 
the the idea that YouTube will will make you any money is it's not just um it's not just a, a, a lie. It's kind of it's become much harder and harder that, because um, the way YouTube used to do it was that you had. Um, you didn't need to have any certain level of subscribers. You didn't need to have a certain number of views or anything like that to to be able to be part of the monetization program. And they changed that a, a good few years ago. And I remember this because I was at uni at the time, and or maybe it was after uni, and I'd done a video that had gotten somewhere in the region of 100,000 views, which was an interview that I did, um, which was really good. Um, it was a, a great interview I did for my journalism course at uni. And they I, I got paid like 60 quid for it um from youtube from youtube i thought oh my god this is amazing i've got like money off this thing this is insane maybe i could do this again but then they after a while they, they basically said to my old youtube channel which is not the battle games of middle earth one just my name um they kind of said oh you you don't have enough subscribers or you don't have enough views per month so therefore we're going to take away the this the money that you're going to get from this one video so you have to have a channel that's being watched a certain amount and i can't remember the exact figure but i know my channel gets six thousand or so views a, a month which is way less than yours lucky but um it's just about enough to earn revenue but the revenue is like five dollars a month or something like that so you know you've got to be in a massive massive numbers uh pulling in massive numbers of viewers to actually gain anything in in the way of of you know a living from from youtube and it certainly doesn't pay for that new camera i bought essentially <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember what the exact numbers are now. I don't think they've changed, but when it was brought in, they instituted a – you had to have 1,000 subscribers as a flat threshold, uh, and you also had to have 4,000 annual hours of watch time. So every time someone watches your video for five minutes, that generates five minutes of watch time. So of all the viewers watching times by you know how long they watch, you need to have 4,000 hours of um, – was that annual or monthly? Oh, I can't remember. That's the figure. I'm pretty sure it was annual. Um, it it and, must be annual because I get 500 hours. So Yeah. And um, so when when they brought that in, that basically the, the aim of that was to cut all of the really tiny channels with lots of kind of random stuff. And it's not like YouTube still plays ads on those content. You don't get paid for it. It's just that you're not able to run ads on those videos. And what that did was it kind of got rid of all of the really old, tiny, dead channels that weren't actually active, uh, as well as just all the small channels that didn't have a concentrated focus and thus like a proper uh, I guess an audience metric that made sense regularly to what the content was. And it gave YouTube much better control over what you know what targeting the ads to the specific audience because that's what youtube is all about obviously with everything the channel search spider bots the works is making sure that the ads they're playing are targeted to the to the person who's seeing them and their their justification for that and a lot of small creators were like fuming um but for the mid-level creators it, it did help a lot because it meant that ads worked better and thus got better clicks, and then their revenue started going up. So there was method behind the madness, but for all the tiny YouTubers who were, you know, felt, you know, empowered to be monetized, even though they weren't making much, they were like, hey, you're taking away my $10 a month. Really? Did you need to do that? Um, but it was it was the sacrifice YouTube decided was worth the overall wealth of the kind of creators in the middle. But yeah, interesting stuff. Mm. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, so it doesn't cost you anything to put it up on YouTube, though. Is that right? You just put your stuff up, and um, do they get rid of a channel that's inactive, or does it just stay up and just be die in the internet somewhere? 
Now it all stays up forever. Um, it's, it doesn't cost you anything. If one, the only time a, I think channels can only get deleted through getting strikes and things. So if you, there's still videos up there, like you know the very first five videos ever uploaded to YouTube are still there, even though those channels are long since inactive. So yeah, things things don't get deleted unless they breach community service guidelines or they get strikes or or whatever. But yeah, all it's all free to use. Um, but YouTube makes the money through their ads, obviously. Mm. Yeah, I guess the the um, I think the whole idea of YouTube originally was free videos, and you can upload your videos to wherever you want, and all that sort of stuff. And it's still, in a way, it's great because you can still do, you can use it as a very efficient, cheap, and easy to use um, way to upload videos that I don't know what whatever you want your videos to be of. Um, it's actually still probably the best way of, of doing that and in terms of um, getting getting content out there um, and I suppose that's why there are so many people who who try and start a YouTube channel with you know just them chatting on zoom or whatever because it's just so easy to use but even though perhaps some of the formats don't I don't really work for that like I, I always think conversations work better as a podcast like like we are doing now yeah I agree with that I can see the 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 short videos I don't mind it with the the facial expressions and the reactions and that sort of stuff but I I feel like especially the the, the long conversations that we tend to have on on these podcasts I, I agree that they work better in audio because you want someone to be doing something I don't want them to just be sitting around like you know sit around a radio and, and paying attention to it I'd rather them have it as background noise if they're painting or I don't know doing the dishes or something out there going for a walk or whatever just something that they can put in there and um the other problem i have with youtube is that if you're going for a walk like good luck having it going or anything like that because um it's either going to take up all your data or it's going to turn off or it's going to drag your attention away and that sort of stuff so i find that sometimes i wish there was an easy download button for it for some of the stuff that's essentially just audio yeah, recently I asked um, uh, Derry, uh, who's been doing these Gardens of, Guardians of Wiltshire chats with uh, lots of people in the UK community. I asked him, uh, is there any way of sending me the audio files for it? And he was like, well, up for it. But he deleted them already because there were such long video files that he didn't have room on his computer. So I had to find some dodgy download service to download the audio so I could listen to it while I was driving around. Because otherwise I wouldn't have time to listen to an hour and a half's worth of video really every day. I, but I can when I'm driving for work. So it's great. Yeah, it's a really interesting market spot that YouTube and Google have probably considered is integrating some element of podcast format release through YouTube and then it's still being tied to YouTube and thus still fitting the monetization platform. But the reason that creators do it um, is like, for instance, if you look at some of the bigger podcasting channels in our wargaming space, uh, you know, John and um, Scott from uh, Miniac and, and John's channel, they, you know, they have their uh, Trapped Under Plastic podcast and, uh, you know, they, they do their podcast on YouTube. It goes up on YouTube and then they've got all their other ancillary spots. So it's like, you know, you, you, listen, you might listen to the podcast on YouTube and they're like, if you want the files, you know, you can listen on SoundCloud, you can listen on iTunes, blah, 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 blah. And everyone's like, well, that's great, but why are you putting it on YouTube? And the answer is because no other platform has better uh ability to connect you with an audience so they find you so they're gonna they might find you through youtube and then go and listen regularly on your podcasting platforms but the the ability to be found through search and recommended 
and the YouTube kind of cookie algorithm is yeah is like you know you don't you don't get recommendations when you're sitting on SoundCloud like you do on on YouTube you know so that's that's why people do it they go I want to be found so I put the podcast on YouTube and then and then people who really want to listen to me while they're driving will use my SoundCloud account that I'll link in the description that's that's interesting I should probably do that with the uh, the old Entmoots <laughs> yeah totally should then you have to have a video component or, or yeah, something. Yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it doesn't really work for what I do. Yeah, I don't actually want to be found because then people can hear all the <laughs> advice we give and I don't have any tactics in to go against them. So I prefer to remain secret. <laughs> Keep it secret. Keep it safe. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone about us. Now <laughs> they're going to do it, damn it. <laughs> and Jeremy, because for you, you're pretty much the first and were for a very long time the only um, audio podcast for the Middle Earth strategy battle game, Lord of Rings and all that. And I know it didn't really start with just you, did it? But um, I, I wondered why why you guys decided to do that. I sort of pushed the idea around. I was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time. and We, we sort of tried it a few times. It was when actually very early on in podcasts and we had some sort of wargaming ones that were pretty popular and they were just a way to connect with other communities. So I, I was listening to a lot of ones that weren't about Lord of the Rings, but just because of that, people talking about gaming and talking about having fun with their friends and, and almost living vicariously through them. So that attracted me. So I got a, a few friends. We tried a few times and some of them tried on their own and like Charles and Travis and Matt and some others that, that have disappeared. Well, Matt's still around, but have, have sort of disappeared off our, our radar. So it's been been really good to um, to, to keep that going. But I, I just basically created the show that I wanted to listen to. So it was um, – and look, some of them – we had some very creative differences. So a lot of the segments that you hear regularly are ones that I actually – initially didn't like or initially didn't want to participate in so things like i know the mustering an army that definitely wasn't my one and that was one that i actually didn't really like because i didn't want to become that podcast which is just about analyzing lists because my passion is really in the like like lachlan said earlier the story and the, the scenarios and this sort of stuff but we sort of evolved that way anyway and it's one that we get a lot of good feedback on so and i've grown to, to like it as well there's been a bit of a fun challenge with it but that's that's basically why i've done it and a, a bit of a creature of habit so i just kept it going because it's it's basically been as much as anything for me and, and a small group of friends it, it, we've got a probably not a huge audience but a very dedicated audience and one that that often gives us feedback and, and has a chat to us so i've been really liking that as just a a community as much as anything so that that's the main goal with it we go with the uh, what the cheapest hosting we could find because didn't want to spend too much money using podcast equipment that we've got at home uh, I, I, we bought new microphones and things along the way and different audio interfaces and that but we're pretty pretty low tech and uh, basically go I, I do spend a bit of time with with the editing which we'll talk about soon but basically just putting out a, a podcast i wanted to listen to and only recently we've got money involved in it we've got i think you both got this as well we've got the 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 patrons we've got a few uh patrons which were very very happy that they're involved and and that they're willing to donate and we just use it as a tip jar so a, a bit of a, a thanks for putting out content and um to encourage us to put out more which is which is nice but it's it's not huge amounts of money but we're very very appreciative of it because the fact that people put anything towards it is is a real uh, show of faith and and a really positive thing so so we definitely thank for that we definitely appreciate it but it's definitely not not a money-making thing it's almost a hobby for me as much as anything and and what i've been liking recently is just chatting to people from overseas and and like we're doing now and and people from other parts of australia like with lachlan so that's been a real passion of mine as well so that that's where i'm going with it and that's where it continue that's probably why it has continued is just the the community aspect 
Yeah, the, you, the Patreon is an interesting one because um, I know I, I'd never heard of Patreon until um, Lockie. Uh, actually, it was it was you that got me onto the uh, even uh, just thinking of Patreon, and and I joined your and I'm still a, one of your pledges, so I get your email every you so often. But uh, <laughs> and I'm still I'm still waiting for the day that I get drawn for for. You're going to win it, Harry. I can I can feel the giveaways <laughs> okay. coming in my bones. I can feel it too. Um, but I, I just remember joining that and thinking, well, this is such a smart idea because a dollar a month or five dollars or whatever it is, um, you know, you, it, it doesn't feel like much to me paying it to you, Lockie, but mm. that is 70 pence or something that's going into your pocket. And, uh, and it feels like it doesn't, you know, it's not substantial, um, like the, like the Jeremy's just saying, but it, it's, it's a kind of a recognition that I value what, what I'm getting and I don't want to, uh, I, I, I would be happy to pay for it in, in some way. And I guess that's a, a lovely way to, to think of these Patreon things is that people enjoy it enough that it's, um, it's worth paying for because there is a lot of time and effort going into it. And I know um, Jeremy and I are in a, a similar boat in the sense that we're not making millions off it or anything. I'm making a, a tenner a month or 20 quid a month or whatever it is, but it, it pays for the, the hosting for the podcast, which is great. Mm. It pays for, you know, replacing microphones if I break something or whatever um, and maybe investing in some new cameras and stuff for videos. So it is, re- it is really useful in that sense, but um but it is more of a, a thank you and a kind of the the fact that it's of value to people kind of makes me think, OK, I'll keep doing it. Because if you're willing to pay uh, a dollar uh, or whatever it is a month, then I really should keep doing it because I, I appreciate that. Mm, it certainly is motivating, actually. That's that's the one thing. Just knowing that anyone's willing to, to put some money towards it encourages me. And I know that exactly. sometimes when we're a bit slack, I just go, I've got to put out a podcast this month because I'm letting people down if I don't. And I don't want it to become like a job. But it is nice to get that little kick occasionally and just that, that recognition yeah. that, hey, I should put it out. And sometimes I, I'm not going to not going to announce who all the the patrons are because I think that's that I haven't asked them for permission for that. But I sort of sometimes they they have a bit more weight in some of the conversations. So they say, "Can you do this this show?" I'm probably more likely to do it as well, just because I know that there's someone who's I I know is committed. Now it's it's probably not fair on everyone else, but it does it does influence a little bit in that way. Yeah, I've I've, I've put a specific thing on my my Patreon thing about you know if you you sign up you get to request some content from me if you you know so if you join it you can go right i would like you to paint this and do a painting tutorial for my video uh, for your video channel or i'd like you to do a podcast on this or go to this tournament or whatever and i will i will try and do that sort of stuff um but also i've I've started including them in the um the podcast recently i've got i'm working on another one at the moment but just 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 a, as a recognition that these people uh you know join in and if they want to be involved then here's a podcast that you can be a part of so it's it's great fun it's it's really nice yeah Lockie's the, the the king of getting people involved though he's yeah you've got a spinning wheel and everything i do have a i do have a, a spinning wheel i feel like uh you know wheel of fortune and uh everyone's names are on there it's quite fun the the, the wheel of giveaways uh just i noticed you guys have mentioned talking about paying for hosting you guys upload both to soundcloud does that cost yeah. money yes it does it's, yeah it does 
Yeah, it does. Wow, I did not know that. I guess they have I, no kind of ad revenue system, so it makes sense. But I, I always thought that was free. It, it is for the first certain amount, and I think they probably got me in the in the sense that I, I went to that one because it was really easy and it was free at first. And then after I'd uploaded five or six or whatever many podcasts it was, it was like, hey, you can't upload any more now. And because all the back end of it, the RSS feeds all pick up from soundcloud and i'm not a particularly technical person i yeah. could have probably migrated it somewhere else and it might have been free or cheaper but i thought well i'm i can't remember how exactly how much i'm paying but it's like it works out at less than a netflix subscription i think so it's it's not a it's like probably eight quid a month or 80 quid a year or whatever it was i don't know if you know it's Jeremy, very but... it's very clean as well and and kind of people yeah. expect podcasts on soundcloud and you're still going to pay no matter where yeah. you are whether it's yeah iTunes and it's or... Exactly, and it's good because it just drops it drops into iTunes, Podbean, and whatever other place people use. So, so it works quite like that. But um, I don't know where, where I, I think I asked Jeremy, and I've speak, people have spoken to me in the past about exactly where you host it. And honestly, I'm not sure. But if you're a web building person, I'm pretty sure you can make your own website, make a kind of hosting system for it that is free. Obviously paying for a website but um it'll be cheaper than um soundcloud but the complication involved and the faff i just couldn't be asked with if i'm honest <laughs> it is it is an easy option there's there's some disadvantage it's not really a dedicated podcast service but we we got it early on because it was by far the the best value one that we found for 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 a lot of content, quite frankly, because we're dumping a lot of audio on there and I don't want it to disappear. I was, uh, some of the other podcasts that I've listened to were only able to host a certain amount of episodes before they just were gone forever because they had a limit. So that that attracted me to it. And it's look, it's probably not the best one around, but there's there's also a cost in, in shopping around and it's it's definitely not breaking the bank. I think um, the numbers, I'm, I'm lower than, than those ones that, that you mentioned. It might be even even a lower level. It's, it's around about that that one but or maybe we just don't pay the, the games workshop tax on the pound conversion it might be an actual conversion <laughs> that is probably it <laughs> it is a little bit of money but it's it's a bit of a cost of, of the hobby essentially so I, I don't i don't mind that some some parts of the idea of putting on youtube is attractive but once again i i'm i'm a bit of a, a strange one in that i don't really want the ads on it at all i don't i just I don't like that idea, and I actually, in some ways, patron. I'm still in um, a bit in two minds about it because I don't necessarily want to to be creating stuff that essentially I'm giving away for free that ends up making a whole bunch of other people money. And I know that that's that's inevitable. I have to because I don't I don't do hosting and I don't do all this sort of stuff. But I want to almost minimize that a little bit as well because I feel like I feel like I want to just give out something that, that someone might enjoy and and that that's that's my thing and I've got nothing against people making any money from it of course like that's I don't care but for me personally I don't really want a whole bunch of other companies involved so I try to minimize that as well so you know, there's a few choices involved there yeah yeah the, the SoundCloud is the the only cost really for um, thing I've just looked it up it's 90 pounds per year for me which okay. uh, I don't know how much that's in dollars yeah, yeah I think that's, yeah that's definitely not nothing that's no, it's not nothing did not realize it was that expensive there you go we really have pulled back the curtain then I suppose you I've got no problem with that. No, 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 no. We might as well because it's interesting for people to get involved in that. And look, who knows? We might get some feedback. Someone might say, hey, this place is way better. Occasionally, I get asked to go on other um, other platforms. But basically, the way it works is they all require an RSS feed. So there was one of the, the music streaming 
ones that I wasn't involved in. I can't even remember which one it was, but um, recently I got a request to, to join up to that one, and I, I did. I put, put it applied for it, put my RSS feed on them. But usually what you do is um, apply for one of the big ones. So usually it's iTunes or, or one of the others, and then all the other podca- podcast-grabbing apps just go and steal the RSS feed from it. So um, some yep. of them are cheeky. Some of them say they steal the RSS feed and then they offer you to pay them to advertise your podcast, which is always a, a no-go way. But um, yeah. Wow, <laughs> so, the, the dark world of podcast companies. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just laugh sneaky, at those ones. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember someone saying to me, I was like, oh, I, uh, um, are you on Podbean? I was like, I, I don't know. And I said, oh, yeah, you are been so it's fine and i was like oh okay i didn't know how they even got there but i think because wow. uh, soundcloud um it like you say they just take your podcast and i guess that's just the way podcasts work so i i have no control over where it's actually appearing it could be appearing as some the soundtrack to some porn website somewhere and i wouldn't wouldn't have a clue but there you go. absolutely mental <laughs> yeah there you go yeah so it's it's pretty much it's out there sort of stuff and i imagine that that anything on the web is a bit like that if someone really wants to to go and put it somewhere else, they they probably can, and we're too small to be able to to defend it. If we really wanted to, to you have to go to certain ones. I know that some people think that you can get like subscription podcasts, and there are some some ability to do that, but you have to be really big essentially for that. And and essentially, people set it up on their own, like those those really super downloaded podcasts and things that companies essentially just go and hunt them down and offer them contracts and and redesign their websites to incorporate it. So. I know there there is some ways you can do download only ones. I know that um I think pay, uh, Patreon can do that as well, where you give specific content or specific feed to to people. But yes. I I haven't taken that option. One day I might. I'm not gonna not gonna say I'm not gonna do it, but I just feel like that. Just put the content out there for everyone. Yes, I I did, I did toy with the idea of doing more Patreon special stuff, um, but then I realised I'm I kind of. I, I don't really want to, I don't need it to be a business. So I don't really want to have to do, do that for, for people. Cause ultimately I want the content to be for everyone. So, so it makes more sense to just do it for everyone and then have people, like you say, use it as a tip jar. Yeah. We're going to annoy the capitalists around here with, with this sort of giving away <laughs> stuff for free, Harry, this is concerning, especially cause you work in broadcasting. This is a, uh. well, it, it's, it's an odd one though, isn't it? Cause although yes, my job is, uh, I'm, for those who don't know, I'm a BBC journalist. So I work for, uh, the radio and and in a way uh, people don't people don't pay for what i do because it's license fee which is a sort of kind of a tax and it's controversial tax but a tax nonetheless and um i've i've always thought that yes you should value um the content that people give and i guess that's why i've given people the option to do the patreon to support it and i've put adv- ads on the videos just because it it, it, I don't think the, the, the amount. I think the problem is that people expect if something comes out for free, they expect it to always be free. And the issue is, it does take hours and hours to do this stuff. Like whether it's just two hours recording the content and an hour and a half editing or whatever, uh, it's still time and it's still effort. So, and I think sometimes if you give give something for free, people think it's easy to do when actually it really can be quite tricky to facilitate a lot of this stuff it's not just going to, for me the, the podcast it's not just going to a tournament and ch- chatting to everyone although there is an ex- extent of that it's you know making sure that the to is happy with me doing stuff and interviewing them as well and you know and then it's all the other editing and in, in between which takes a lot of time 
edit the editing. And, and I know, Jeremy, for your five-hour epics, it must be an absolute nightmare sometimes. You've segued perfectly. It's almost like you're, you're in this. That was my next question, was that how long it well, takes Well, it's because I work in broadcasting, you know. I just, oh, I, yeah, I just yeah. read your mind. <laughs> and and clearly I don't because I pointed out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, uh, Lachlan, how long does it take you to, to edit one of your videos? So if it, you know, just give us uh, some numbers, maybe, or some, some a rough idea, perhaps. It uh, varies widely, depending on the type of content. I have a range of content streams. Uh, the, the kind of classic, you know, painting mo- model tutorial, like, you know, p- for instance, all the latest 40K stuff or painting whatever Lord of the Rings model, I usually take about a day and a half to film it and then uh, a day and a half to edit it. So I can usually get that content out on a three-day turnaround working sort of 10 to 12-hour days. And then we have, uh, I guess, more middle-range content uh, like stuff that's, you know, building bigger terrain projects. And they're, they're obviously got a lot more labor-intensive time. So I might be working on on filming the terrain piece for probably a week to two weeks. And then it might only take probably three days to edit uh, and then the kind of end scale is kind of the the bigger showpiece, uh, sort of big battle reports that are really well edited with a lot of kind of cinematic visual elements. Um, and uh, they, uh, like for instance, our big Pelennor Fields one, we filmed that in one big block in 15 hours. And then it took me, uh, I think, 11 days of editing, working 12-hour days. Uh, and then the the big Star Wars video that we just put out with a, a lot of kind of complicated visual elements to make that really immersive. Uh, we shot that over four days, working 10-hour days, and then it took me 15 and a half days. I think I actually ran a telly for that, and we, it ended up being about 145 hours of editing at the desk because uh, I started logging it because I knew it was going to be a big one and I wanted to know how insane it would get. So, um, yeah, it ver- you know, some videos might, I might be in the edit suite for 15 to 20 hours, maybe 10 if I can bang out a really quick tutorial. And sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's, it's up in the hundreds. So it, it really depends on how labor and time intensive and how important the content is to my kind of release schedule. Is it mm. frustrating when you spend 140 hours on something editing and it doesn't get as many views as the one that maybe you spent a day on and it's got blown up for some reason, like a painting tutorial that's just gone crazy? Huge, hugely so. For for instance, we had, um, but I, I have to, I, ha- I get mad when I think about it, but then I have, have to sort of keep it in perspective to the different styles of content that I have. So, um, there's uh, and it's all you know there's so many factors when you're looking at content you know pop and staying power and so you know that that big star wars video i was worried about and that was kind of a proof of concept that i was investing a lot of time into that video 150 hours shooting and even more than that including shooting and editing that's a huge time sink if i you know this is my job if i break that down on a labor rate i just spent like a lot of money making that video um, and, uh, and, you know, for that to have enough financial return to be justifiable, that video needs to do quite well. Um, and it needs to do certain things. It, it needs to not just get views, but also connect with viewers, potentially new viewers, uh, and really blow people away and, and kind of make the channel stand out. And so I put a lot of effort into making that really engaging. So that video, it's not just about how many views it gets. It's about the the reaction with the community and my audience and whether or not they, they kind of stand up and go, wow, Lockie, that's incredible. Do more of that. So that's an in, that, that went well in the end. It was a steady growth, not a big pop. And it's, um, it's, it's done well and, and the community are really happy with it. And so that's saying to me, okay, keep doing that. 
And it might not be massive now, but it might get massive because people love that style. Whereas, you know, and, and it's also got huge staying power. Its views don't drop off. It's, it'll grow long term. Whereas something like a painting tutorial, for instance, you know, I just did a Necron tutorial that has the exact same amount of views as that big Star Wars video that took me, I don't know, probably 25 hours to make <laughs> com- comparatively to 150, 160 um, and a lot less investment with other resources. And that that's because that's the video that's popping. Necrons are coming out. So people are searching that a lot more. Mm. Um, so yes, there is, um, but you know, long-term people will be searching for that less cause it won't be the hype and, you know, it, do- it doesn't have as much brand value because it's just one painting tutorial that people go, cool. Thanks. That's great. I watched the video. It didn't make people, everyone who watched it lose their minds because they were so engaged by something they'd never seen before. So it's, it's, you just got to sort of weigh up all the pros and cons of how much time you're investing. That's interesting. That is really interesting. But I, yeah, cause I, I just had a quick, I was just Googling for Zorp now. And it's interesting that Zorpa Zorp is now top of the Google Star Wars as well. So maybe working your big video is yeah. Is I'm I'm pretty into search engine optimization as well. So yeah. um, I have a very good mate of mine who um, used to freelance uh, consult for Google, and he um, he kind of like helped me with all of that scary, scary world. So that um, like you, for instance, Zorpa Zorp is not really a word, and whenever you search it, it used to come up with did you mean Gazorpazorp referencing a Rick and Morty episode? Um, and I, I finally hit a milestone at one point about a year and ago where that did you mean doesn't come up anymore because YouTube's like, yeah. oh, no, maybe they are searching for this guy. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was the thing. But, yeah, you're right. It's about cutting into a new market. So that big, that big video made really connected with the Star Wars Legion viewers, and, and so that makes it worthwhile, that huge time investment. So there's just so many factors with every piece of content to consider it's not just like how many views did it get but that's a lot of hours editing as well i'm sort of glad i don't do video at this point because that's that's huge numbers harry how many yeah that was that was insane it was stupid big (laughs) (laughs) harry what do you spend uh like to to make an episode yours are usually about the hour and a half to two hour mark are they yeah they they average around an hour and a half i suppose and depending on how how long people talk for and how and um, whether i miss whether i miss a game or or whatever sometimes uh people just don't have time to chat or they don't fancy chatting because i've smashed them or, or whatever um but they largely for, for that anything, never happens uh, it, never really, never. <laughs> I, i've never smashed anyone in my life uh no uh, it, often it's it's a quick process and that's specifically because i've designed the format so that it's really easy for me to edit it together and that was part of why I, I set up the um the podcast in the way I did was because I didn't want it to become a chore and I didn't want the um podcast to take ages to edit after I'd been to a tournament so that I'd spend like because just depending on life and work and all that sort of stuff it, it sometimes you just don't have time to uh, sit and edit for a few hours um so I, I d- designed it so that I could do it in roughly two hours per uh, per podcast and that and actually the majority of the time is spent doing um the riddles in the dark segment of the podcast which uh sounds ridiculous because it's it's not a difficult it doesn't probably doesn't sound like it's complicated but it's just getting a clip of audio I mean, if you mm. don't listen to the podcast it's it's where I, I give you a sort of a 
clip from the movies and you have to guess who speaks next and it's usually just a tiny tiny clip and and that's i have to go into a, the movies record the audio uh bring it back out and then find the clip next and then play it a few times and then edit myself in between each of the clips so that's just a bit complicated the actual um the bulk of the um podcast is just me doing a bit of a speech about my army me doing another speech um about uh the the, the talking uh, reading emails which i just read straight off the emails as they come um so i i don't think people have ever been rude to me but um they, they i i certainly i certainly just read them straight off the paper so i'm like oh right, okay yeah they've just said that um so and then the rest of it is just put together just back-to-back clips basically i record them as if i'm broadcasting something live and um, which i do for a living and um, so it's relatively easy for me to uh, to you know turn up at a tournament and say hey we're here at, here at this that and the other and i, I you know uh, who are you what are you doing what's your army and, all, and and i have set questions that i always kind of go back to and all that sort of stuff so it makes the actual process quite quick and um, but yeah two hours i'd say is the longest I'd spend on a, a podcast, I'd, I wouldn't want to be spending hours and hours and editing them because it's just just not worth it. But the the uh, videos that I do um, are, are different though because, like, excuse me, like uh, Lockie said, um, they they can take hours and hours to edit, and you never never quite sure whether whether it's going to work. And my my computer isn't probably as high tech as Lockie's, so so he, he I, I'd probably take a lot more time actually exporting video. Um, onto my laptop and then into the editing software and then out of it, then I actually do piecing the clips together. So it can take ages and ages. Mm, yeah, that, that does take a while. I usually, I think I'm actually really quick at audio editing. I, I'm very proud of myself, but I can't really compare it to a lot of people. I usually spend probably about double the the time the episode is on it, but I listen to the whole thing. So I listen to every single word and I, I chop some things out and check the pacing and, and cut out some of the, the stuff that's got no value whatsoever. So things like clicks at the start of sentence and all that sort of stuff, I try and get rid of where possible. Uh, because of the, the format we're recording at the lot where we're not in the same room, we can't do those visual cues. So oftentimes at the very start of a sentence, we talk over each other. So I just have to chop all that out and make sure it sounds mm-hmm. like it's it's natural. But you're, you're right, the, um, the part that takes me the longest, and it's a part I actually really like the most is when I do the readings for the um, scenario spotlight introductions and the music I choose for those. I actually spend a lot of time going through and trying to choose music from from the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit trilogy that suits the mood of it. And sometimes I do a good job and sometimes I, I could do better, quite frankly. But that's the part I actually really enjoy. And I spend way too much time on that. So that little uh, 30 seconds to a minute before that that takes up a huge amount of time just to just to get it just right and and uh the last episode i did with the scaring of the shire i think i had like seven uh, or eight of those and, and i loved every moment of it i was just going to say this i've just listened to the first probably half an hour of scaring of shire episode and the first reading you do with the uh the blends that you do it's it's very well done um and and i think i don't know whether it's the sort of thing that i noticed because i like audio and i like listening to radio and i edit audio a lot for a living but um i i did really appreciate that so i don't know whether it's something that uh, other people pick on, up on but i certainly do like it and i like it when a podcast is um has some nice a the good quality audio which of course is more difficult during a pandemic because uh, we're all in, in, in different houses but um also nice transitions where you don't hear the ruffle of the microphone which i have to cut out occasionally and sometimes i've missed and things like that but um 
but yeah, just even even like a, a jingle or an advert that that cuts off rather than blends or rather than fades out, those sorts of things really really annoy me. So I'm really glad when I I hear good quality stuff like you've been doing for those uh, tonight spotlights, and and I can tell you enjoy it. It's it's a bit of fun, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think I'm getting better at it as well. I listen to some of the older ones and I think, oh, I want to go and change that. But you can't. Once it's out there, it's out there. It's gone. And don't don't change it all. It's there. Own it. Yeah, it's having to let go is tricky sometimes. <laughs> when I uh, I recently, I, Harry referenced the, uh, his, his clip shows. I did my first sort of clip show a few weeks ago and had to go back and trawl through some old videos to grab some clips and, and bring them in. I'd like to think that I put a new enough spin on it that it didn't feel like a clip show, and, and the, the audience really liked it. But uh, I was so nervous putting it up. I thought people were going to be like, you're a hack. You're just putting up old content. Uh, but oh, no, I'll I, have I, to check that out. I love uh, love clip shows. <laughs> I, put a new, I put a new spin on it. It's the, it's the Edoras board, right? So I've, you know, because I've built the Edoras board twice. And so it was, oh, yeah. it was a video bringing in those elements as well as bringing in um, some of my New Zealand travel vlogs, researching the filming location to kind of understand the build and and I, I feel like I put a good take on it all um but uh but yeah going through that old stuff I was like oh man I can't I can't handle this <laughs> it's uh, I want to go back and change it but it's up there it's up there forever so yeah just letting go once it's out in the ether can be tricky that's part of the charm though um sometimes you know you can spend a lot of time editing something to make it look as, as slick as you possibly can but actually um People are probably ultimately listening to me and uh, Jeremy and you because we like uh, people like our, our character and the the fact that we're playing the games that they love as well. So yeah, people yeah. are forgiving, especially in this kind of. I know you're in a more professional um, uh, way, or you're trying to you know get the get the huge numbers it's, and stuff it's like not, that. You, that, should, you should see the mess of this studio, man. It's hodgepodge. <laughs> <laughs> but I get, I guess you know, because we're in a niche hobby. Ultimately, you know, especially Lord of the Rings wargaming. I think people are just glad that there's content out there, and the fact that you've done stuff that's you know ten thousand point Pelennor Fields battle reports and the the enormous Osgiliath board. Even if it's ropey to, uh, uh, editing, which I don't think it, it, it is at all. Uh, no, even that, in that, the first Osgiliath video, <laughs> not good. But, but it's like a hundred thousand or something views, surely, and and that's and it, people are amazed because it's it's great that it's there. And I think when you know maybe if we were watching this on TV, we'd have a level of expectation. But on YouTube, uh, for a niche hobby. I don't think we we need to really put as much um, editing in as as perhaps perhaps we would do in it's, another it's field. It's a really important point that a lot of the relationship with us is it's all about that parasocial relationship of of being invested in us as people and creators. Um, and so, so often you're right. It's it, the editing doesn't need to be super flashy in in a lot of instances because people just want to see what you're doing and 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 touch base. And and that's like super humbling that people are, are interested in what I've got to say and and want to and want to watch my content for me, which is kind of it's it's actually it's it's been a really weird thing to get my head around as like myself as a brand and you know. Be, being sort of like authentic and and you know it's it's a it's a weird world to be but um it's it's yeah it's 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 really it's really cool having people be interested and and find value in what we do i guess uh well, yeah it's, it's strange because we ultimately all three of us only know each because of this hobby um and we've I, i've never met either of you in the flesh i know you two have, have met but um we know each other because of having heard each other on, on podcasts or watched each other on uh, videos so 
So we we have that relationship, even though uh, we're now chatting now as if we've known each other for years. So it's very strange. I would like to point out that if COVID hadn't happened, we would have met like four days ago, Harry. But unfortunately, uh, yes, that, that, that was not to be. <laughs> I would have, but anyway. Next time, next time. There's always time. There yeah. is time. I've got just a couple more more things on this one. This is this is going like all the Green Dragon stuff going longer than I thought, but I'm enjoying it as well, so I don't mind that too much. Yeah, um, me too. I hope that, I hope the listeners don't think that some of this is too dry, but I'm really enjoying chatting <laughs> this all through with you guys. Me too. Me too yeah. That's all right. If if they if they don't like it, I'll put out like a real popular uh, episode afterwards. So um, it's okay. Yeah. We'll listen to this, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So uh, so the next one is that. Uh, have you ever gotten some some negative feedback about what you're doing and and uh, well maybe how have you dealt with that but but does it happen very often? Um, I might start with Harry this time, so let's throw it to you because you're probably the the one that started the most recently. Yeah, and um, in terms of the podcast, I haven't had any negative feedback that I know of. Um, I'm sure it's not. I guess maybe alluded to a podcast. It's harder to actually um, you know you don't listen to a podcast, seek out the person, email them and say, you suck. Um, whereas on YouTube, you do because um, you, you're there watching it and you can go, "Ugh, that was awful. Why did you do that? Um, so I've had I've had some negative um, feedback on the uh, the uh, the YouTube channel. In fact, there was one a few weeks ago. Uh, I was I did a um, uh, Ent painting tutorial years ago. Um, I don't know. I can't remember how long ago it was now. I'll just have a quick look. But um that someone's just commented underneath it saying the editing i'm this is terrible so they they haven't <laughs> even bothered to spell check so uh, i i you know I, and and i kind of I, I, in fact i'll just quickly look what i said i said thanks for the constructive criticism liam perhaps you have a video you've edited i can learn from and uh <laughs> <laughs> you and I guess, bastard <laughs> i know um but uh and, and I think it's, it, you know, YouTube is, is full of um, people who are happy to criticize. And, and as soon as you, you have a bounce back at them, they, they start backtracking and being a bit sort of more coy and things like that. But largely, largely people are um, very complimentary or at least glad like below that comment there's someone saying youtube needs more lord of the rings painting tutorials which is which is great and um, so no i haven't had a lot of, of of negative stuff i mean you get the odd question and query of of it's certainly in battle reports that I've, i do sort of ropey battle reports nothing on the scale of lockers lockies um battle reports but you know you say oh you should have done this there you should have played that and that's fine that's all good but um in terms of criticism not not really um i did i did have one person message me a lot on uh, about the podcast saying can you make it um able so that i can download it um to, to enable down direct downloads on soundcloud which is a specific setting i have to click and he messaged me after every release uh, saying can you make this a direct download so i now do that automatically basically for that one or one or so person but i don't mind uh, i'm glad that they listen and if they want to to listen it then fine i just uh, I, I just do it but yeah he did he has said that a few times <laughs> yeah i i get that when i forget as well it is really important for people because that's the one advantage of our our medium is that people people comment that they listen to it on when they're they're driving like doing a delivery or when they're driving to work or when mm-hmm. they're they're going for a walk I, i've got quite a few listeners that, that um enjoy long walks now especially because of the, the the length of some of the episodes but that's their time to listen so if you if you take away the downloads it's it's nowhere near as accessible but why do they want to download it? The SoundCloud app is awesome. 
I listen to stuff on the SoundCloud app all the time. It's way better than like the media player on my phone that never keeps the spot that I'm up to or uh, where I am. So that's odd to me. If uh, I guess it's data, isn't it? If you're wandering around in the, that's true. the bush, mm. then maybe uh, maybe that's, you don't have data. Of course, of course, you need an internet connection. Yeah, noob. Yeah, I yeah, think that's I think that's the I'm, biggest... I'm usually at Wi-Fi because I'm at home. So yeah, yeah, direct download. Yeah, so you can just save it and, and yeah, turn off your Wi-Fi or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, good I actually point. just I still have an old fashioned iPod classic which I still use for all of my podcasts and music. So I just love to love to synchronize it on the computer, plug it in USB, so it still does. And you know, I, I've never needed to change it, so I don't need the internet for mine. Yeah, that that makes sense. I I I know that I've actually sneakily tried to look at some um, YouTube videos and things when and stream them while I'm walking to work and. Uh, yeah, my data it gets used up. I'm I'm cheap and don't don't have a whole lot of it going, so I do do tend to max out there. So it's much better to download something using the Wi-Fi at home, especially with with some of the video content that's out there is is quite data hungry. So that's why we do do that one. But um, Lachlan, what about you with the the feedback? Yeah, I mean we've I think the three of us are in the the unique boat in the public landscape of being grounded in an amazing community so the lord of the rings community is phenomenal and i in that space have never really received any hate people always comment you know constructively you know if someone uses poor tactics or gets a rule wrong in a battle report but you know everyone's just bloody lovely and that's that's something that we you always hear said about our community on the facebook pages and the forums uh wait a minute no it's 2020 there are no forums uh, so, you know, it's, 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 it's awesome. Uh, when I dipped my toe into Star Wars Legion, uh, you know, uh, probably a year ago now when I started that, it's a, it's a community that is not as amazing as Lord of the Rings, but no community is. There's certainly, you know, the Facebook pages are a little bit more hostile in certain ways. But in, in terms of my space as a creator, I haven't really had many negative comments at all. And if, if we get rules wrong in battle reports, people are really happy to point that out and discuss that with us. But it's never like super overly negative. Uh, and then there's 40K, which is... An interesting community. <laughs> so um, there's, I, I've, you know, and as as you grow as a YouTube channel, you get to, you, you do, there's going to be a point that you hit where you begin to experience like proper hate. And it's just inevitable when, when you get larger. And, and I've had like a few small moments on, you know, particular 40K Facebook pages or subreddits or whatever, um, where there's been like some pretty intense stuff. But it's you know it's it's not really that big of a deal at all. It's usually just like a couple of weird people just you know trying to fill their day with uh, for some reason that provides some amusement. Um, but you know it, it it is something that is interesting moving forward. You know hopefully as the channel keeps growing, is uh, you know there might come a time where uh, some pretty serious hate will come down. So I don't know I don't know yeah how you deal with it. I learn. Uh, you I talk to my other friends who are YouTubers and go why are these people being mean to me. And then they say, block them and just move on. And I go, yeah, you're right. Cheers. <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, no, it's, it's been – my journey has been pretty sweet so far, but I'm you know, still a super tiny channel. So um, all, the, all the big boys usually get all the, all the haters. Yeah, I've um, – because I don't – well, I, I'm pretty conservative in what, what we put out here, but occasionally I'll go into a topic that, that is a bit controversial. I'll get a lot of uh, feedback about that and discussion, but it's always in a, a good-natured, I think, and I try to, to give people the benefit of the doubt. So uh, some, we've got a lot of um, 
non-English speaking, well, not non-native speakers, sorry, um, that listen to the podcast. So sometimes you've got to be pretty, pretty calm with the way people respond. If it sounds short, it's probably not. It's probably just people communicating in the way they do. I've got English speakers sometimes have trouble, more trouble writing than the non-English speakers, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, so, so we do get occasional feedback, but um, but none of it's been what I'd say negative or harsh or anything like that. And uh, I. My work, I get way harsher stuff. I get um, like I've got I've got students and parents, and they both can be particularly nasty at times. So I'm pretty well um, okay with whatever people want to say. I can, I can deal with that because I'm I've I've had it to the to the face before. Not so much now. You're thick skinned. Distancing. Yeah, yeah. You just you grow it, and you get your tactics, and you listen to what people say, and all that sort of stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, now this is what I need to say, and we've got whole scripts on it, and all that sort of stuff. So. No, it's it's similar online, but one thing that I, I get with the feedback is, that blows my mind is that um, I'll spend like, I don't know, evenings of a week editing, spend a long time putting all this episode out, and then I, I put it out, and then within like, if it's a three-hour episode, within three hours on the dot, someone's responded with a comment or, <laughs> or something like that, and it just, just blows me away like, oh, all that work, and you've already got rid of it, you've already consumed it, you've already uh, ready for the next one, especially when they, they say, oh, can you do this one next? It's like, Sure, but give me a break. I only <laughs> just did that one. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that one, um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't. That's definitely not a negative thing, but it's just, just something interesting I found with with putting out content. The thing I yeah. always love is when, oh, sorry, Harry, I'll be quick. No, 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 is, no, is when no. you put up, you put up a video, and then within a minute, there's a comment criticizing the main premise of the video, and it's like, mm, uh, you clearly haven't watched it. The video's been up for a minute, so maybe watch it and then criticize the main premise. But, yeah, it's always always fun. Yeah, that, I don't get that because uh, we don't really do any of that, the sort of misleading titles or anything like that. We're, we're, we're very against the, the clickbait, which is definitely hurts in terms of getting attention, but um, we don't get those instant reactions. People are very calm. We get the, thanks, I can't wait to listen to it, and then they listen to the whole thing and then then point out, always point out the things we got wrong, which is fantastic. Uh, we're getting a bit better in that now because I feel like the community is all playing under the same rule set at the moment with the FAQs coming out so often, so that that helps. But, um, yeah, people are very keen to point out a mistake you make. They, they're very keen to point out what they disagree with, which is really good. They always point out to me that my uh, opinions about certain models are a bit over the top, which is fine. That's the whole point in them. And, uh, but, yeah, other than that. It gets that, them riled up. That's good. Yeah, but you say it's not clickbait, Jeremy, but you do you do uh, court controversy <laughs> occasionally. Yeah, he ruffles feathers, doesn't he, Harry? <laughs> you have to be listening to get that. You don't. You don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's embedded in the content, so you're already, you already you you listen to a nice Shire episode, and here we go on a rant on about uh, what's the far, farmer Colin, Tolman Cotton and his flower pots. Oh no, that's that's <laughs> that's Gaffer, Gaffer Gamgee. Yeah. yeah, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. I, I do like it. I think it's sometimes the um. I, I actually like to get some some arguments going between the the cast members just because it does create interest. And I, some of the the podcasts I like listen to the most are when the hosts disagree and they have a a good discussion about it. It's all friendly, but they they get quite quite emotional about it. So sometimes I try to replicate that. Nowhere near as much as some of the other things that I've been involved in, but but yeah, it definitely it definitely is fun to do that. And I do like like riling people up. That's always good fun. Yeah, I suppose if you've got a particularly contentious, controversial topic uh, in the, the community, whether it's an FAQ that's annoyed some people, it, it, it's often annoying if you're listening to a podcast and everyone's all on the same side anyway, because you know that it's controversial, but um, the, the, the podcast is kind of all agreeing on one side, which I, I guess that, that means you do need a bit of controversy just to reflect people's opinions in, in some ways. 
That's true, and and I'm lucky in that because I'm not like. I don't know the Games Workshop writers. I know of them, and I, I've I've chatted to them in messages before, but I don't really know them. And like that that scene, I'm far enough away that I can take the side of those more controversial opinions sometimes, and and represent those people. So I know that one of the themes I've got is that I'm well and truly okay with using non-Games Workshop models, and that's been a theme throughout my podcast since right at the start and for some people that is controversial but i've got so much feedback with people saying thank you for representing that and and i've been invited for for forums that are just about alternative models and things like that and and using historic models in lord of the rings and and doing first age stuff and all kinds of fun stuff just because that group is feeling like they're they're being represented which has been been really nice and positive and yeah i've copped some some flack occasionally for it but it's been well worth it for that interaction and that that uh the the new world that it opens up yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so I think that's that's all about that. Let's get on to, to our next segment, which I think we, we've got to talk about this FAQ. <laughs> yeah, speaking of controversy, what a segue. Yeah. Now, as the listeners would know by now, I'm sure, maybe you haven't, maybe you've been been avoiding it, but we've had our latest FAQ, and this one is a lot shorter than, than some of our previous uh, renditions and, and iterations, and it's probably just as controversial, but there's a lot less content. So there's two main points in it that we're going to cover today. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. You can read through it yourself. There's lots of little clarifications, which are great, but there is a change to the Urukai demolition team and also to, to Gambling's Royal Standard of Rohan. So we'll go through those changes. I might point out the changes first, then I want to get uh, Harry and Lachlan's opinion, and then I'll come up with something, uh, a rant to, to disagree with them just for the sake of being uh, annoying. So, first of all, I think we, we should we'll... call that we should call it Jeremy's advocate, not Devil's advocate anymore. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to just to, to keep that controversy and interest going. So we'll start with the bomb team, I think, because that one's probably probably less of a change. It's where you now have to have two enemy models. Uh, within the range of the detonation when you detonate the bomb. So the big change here is that you could not detonate the bomb on your own models, which you could in the past if you were being particularly ruthless, and you can't just assassinate a single non-siege uh, target. So just like, say, say I don't know, Aragorn's wandering off on his own, 
and trying to, to take you on by himself. You can't just detonate a bomb on a single character. You've got to make sure there's at least two characters there. So you've got to get Frodo as well as Aragorn with the with the bomb. So that's the changes there. Uh, Lachlan, what do you think of this one? So um, let, breaking it down, let's have, have a little think about how it impacts it. Obviously, off the bat, the Helm's Deep, uh, what is it? Uh, Assault on Helm's Deep, Legendary Legion, yeah. um, is the most powerful list. Uh, it's very broken, frankly, or or it was. Um, the just the capacity to leverage in you know the insane power of the ballistas to you know drive your enemy to ground and force them to come to you, and then as your enemy's coming straight to you, you can throw bombs straight in their face. It's it's a ruthless combination, and you know I'm sure uh, as listeners of the uh, the Green Dragon would know, there are quite a few Green Dragons, or at least one in particular who doesn't really feel that uh, siege engines really belong in these kind of classic pitch battles in Middle Earth. And to be honest, I, I feel somewhere in that vein. You know, most of the time when Uruks are fighting, there, sh- there shouldn't you know Uruks or as Uruks as an army, um, sh- there shouldn't really be siege engines. So uh, yes, it's it's an interesting one, and it's a very powerful combo for the army. We've seen Jazz do amazingly in the GBHL with it, um, and it's it's yeah, it's a tricky army to play against because of that, those powerful synergies and the way they combine together. So what this change has done is it's stopped a couple of tactics for the Urukai player. The first thing is that it stopped you from just blowing holes in your own army to break yourself, and it's also stopped kind of baiting the bomb safely behind your kind of shield wall waiting for your hero enemy heroes to try and cut their way through and then before they can even get near the bomb just detonating it and hoping to catch those heroes and just deleting them off the board so i think those are good changes i'm just worried about still the overall power of the interacting synergies um the change that i was uh, kind of chatting about and was suggested by one of the uh, the gamers in our kind of um, group in in Queensland was that it might have been really interesting as a, a sort of a shift to change the way the dynamic reads is to perhaps put bomb detonations out of sequence with heroic combats. So rather than having the bomb go off at the very start of the turn, heroic combats interrupt mm. that sequence to give heroes a chance to cut through a shield wall to get in and interrupt those those bomb players which I, I think could be an interesting change so i guess my i think these are great changes i think they're both good um i just think that maybe we need a little bit more to interrupt the power of those interacting synergies i, I guess that's where i kind of land thinking it through on the bomb teams yeah, that's that's fair enough. That's actually in some ways similar to the way the bomb teams used to be. They used to not be taken very often because you had to prep them for a turn. So you put them down, and then next turn you could light them. So people had a whole turn to get away from them. Whereas now you can just push them forward and, and blow up immediately. So well, not immediately, but but without the reaction yeah, I still, time. I, I still think that change was an important one because they were fairly average before, and I, I I like that they're seeing play, and I do like them as interesting mechanics, especially these demo charges, which are a bit more realistic that would be easily brought to an army. Um, so I, I definitely don't want them you know, nerfed back to where they were. I like the new changes. Uh, I just think they're still a little bit too powerful because of their interaction in the context in which they exist, and these only really should be taken in the assault on that, you know, that legion, and then combining with the... It's, it's re-rolling ballistas as well, and do, do the seat do they do they do extra damage the bombs do they do extra damage in this you're more likely to get well? the get the extra damage yeah 
That's correct. Yeah, yeah you so, get two dice and you choose the highest or something, don't you? Yeah, so um, yeah, I haven't I haven't played it for ages. The funny thing is, I remember when I first reviewed this list in my War in Rohan review, I was like looking for something to sort of pick on, so it wasn't all positive, and I was like, oh, this list is trash. There's no heroic strike. And then like <laughs> yes. three months later, I was like, holy whoa, this list is retarded. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, Harry, how do you feel about? It? Well, I, I'm kind of on the fence almost, like because. I know a lot of the people have criticised the the change because, you know, you, it means that essentially you can't send Aragorn or whatever uh, into on, on his own to uh, destroy it, and then the the demolition team blow it up and uh, as a sort of defence mechanism to kill that one hero. Because um, at the moment Aragorn could just wander in, kill that uh, that bomb team with ease, and they won't be able to blow it up because there's not two enemy models. Uh, nearby so i can see i can see how that would be frustrating um, and the other argument was about um, smaug or sauron or someone like that who who you know if you've got a demo team and you're playing against smaug it would make a lot of sense to go right let's drop a demo charge next to smaug and take some wounds off um oh, but that's generally a, that's a hugely problematic interaction yeah that's a really and, good and, point. and sauron is a similar sort of vein but, yeah 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 uh, so i can see why people are annoyed about that but um I, I don't think it's as massive an issue as as all that because a, a demo charge ultimately it's not an assassination t- tool, and I, I'm thinking of this purely from the thematic point of view of of saying well a bomb is there to blow up a wall or a gate or a door yeah. or whatever, and if you're trying to assassinate someone with an explosion that kills hundreds of your own guys, then it's really not a very good assassination tool, and I think it's now been brought back down to what it should be which is an explosion that will kill swathes of troops and that's great and i think they could have made it a little bit better in the sense that it's it's not going to kill as many of your own models but um i, I think at least at least you can't now delete your own people um anytime without any kind of ramifications but um it's still possible you can still use that tactic and kill your own guys but um yeah I, i'm kind of almost with you that it's a, a half a half-solved FAQ rather than a, a full, fully uh, sorted. I mean, I think I think you could maybe make exceptions and say model may, uh, may only attempt to detonate the charge uh, if it would affect at least two enemy models or one monster or something yeah. like that. Because then you putting, then putting it would in fail. one monster is the is the solution there. Yeah, yeah, if you, want, if you so. want that effect. But yeah. the thing that's really interesting, which I think you've hit on here, is is considering the operation of the bomb in the context of theme. And I think there's one thing that we can easily say the most about Jay's writing in terms of the, the Middle-earth rules writer. From what we can infer from what he's created as at the helm is that theme is so important and every rule change he makes is to kind of make things operate more as he feels that they should in Tolkien's world. Um, so maybe you're right and that, you know, him trying to remove these as an assassination weapon, because that's what they've been used as, is I've got a bomb, I'm going to delete Gilgalad. I've got a bomb, I'm going to delete Aragorn. And that's not what these were used for. They're used for blowing up walls. They're, you know, so maybe he's trying to shape play a little bit more so that it's not about, you know, meta and most optimized hero assassination tool. It's about having them operate a bit more themely on the uh, on the battlefield. And ultimately, it doesn't really fit in with the game. Um, like, I, I think it doesn't oper- It doesn't take a lot of skill to... I mean, I say it doesn't take a lot of skill. I know Jasmine, uh, you mentioned, um, she's a, a very good player and she has spotted this and knows exactly how to um, make this work in a game or certainly before the, the changes. Um, 
and not not lots of other people notice this, um, certainly here in the UK. So, so yeah, obviously it takes skill to do it and do it right and to do play the game well and um, to get to the position where deleting your own people it works. But even so, it, it, it feels like it kind of, it removes what I like about the game. But then I, I, I'm playing the game and I like to have challenges thrown at me like this. So I don't think always changing everything so that it fits a, a perfect um, idea in your head of what the game should be is a great way of doing things but um, at Very least true. it's still there in some some sense mm. what do you think jeremy yeah i'm i'm sort of in a few minds about this one i normally i'm in the the category of i don't really care that much about siege engines except for ones that are just absolutely dominate and I, i've talked about the iron hills ballista before that i just think it does too much it does too many things this one doesn't do too many things it does one thing you have to move it so you have to push it around to get some use out of it you have to choose where to do it i just wish it was um less reliable in a way because it feels like it's it's its power level, it hits pretty much all the time. I would love it to have some sort of mechanic where you didn't know how far the actual blast went to. So it just, That would be awesome. Just to, yeah. to maybe have D3 inches or something like that instead where you're not always going to get everything, so you have to really work to get your target. And then... Uh, I think that would probably be make it a little bit more interesting as a as an Urukai player because you couldn't always have that perfect measurement where I'm I'm going to wo- walk uh, whatever it is it's two inches three inches two yeah, inches. That's such a good point because it's all the problem with this is its reliability to just go bang delete and if you if you shake that up that yeah that's that's a really good idea. So I would I would like because I I don't mind seeing it and I reckon it's I think it's a cool model and it does have some unique interactions and I don't think it's just it's autoplay either I can see the frustration if if it's just taking over a huge chunk of your army and I do think it's I don't I don't want it to be blowing up your own army I think at that point you should be I don't, maybe a victory point mechanic where you don't get the points for it if it does that but I think that's probably too complicated I like that change um, but I I just. I feel like they just become so reliable for what I always imagine as being a real experimental scary weapon. Like occasionally they're totally. going to be be really scary and do a lot, but sometimes you're going to get a dud, and sometimes you're going to drop them in the water by accident or spill the the gunpowder or whatever. And so I just I just wonder if that's a, a way to do that as well. I don't I don't mind this change. I really I don't mind the bomb team at all. I've got tactics against it. I'm pretty good at baiting it away and keeping my safe models away from it. But that's I think it's probably difficult to play against if you're not used to it. So I'm I'm that's probably think, my non controversial opinion on that one. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it, it's if you just add a bit more um, skill level to make it work, then that would that would probably solve the issue. Because if if it's harder to get within an inch, or you know, you need to, to guarantee that killing Gilgalad, and it might you might roll a one on the D three range or whatever whatever you suggested. Um, then having extra skill to be able to get it into the exact right place um, is it's hard enough as it is to to get it into the right place sometimes. So I think adding a little bit more skill would make it. Um, yeah, less of a horrible thing. But I don't think it's broken at all. And to be honest, I didn't think it was that broken before, but I didn't play against it many times, so there you go. I think it's the interaction with the uh, basically an army list that's largely static, that, that you set up a couple of siege weapons that are uh, quite affordable, the Urukai ones, and a bunch 85 of crossbows. points or whatever yeah. far out. Yeah, and you just you have a gun line, which are, gun lines are, are not always fun to play against, so the person no, runs towards really, you. Yeah. And then, then they can take off your big heroes, which are pretty much the only thing that's not going to get killed by the gun line with the bombs immediately. It's a combination that, that doesn't always uh, make for a fun game. And I think that's probably the issue more than anything else. And a lot of scenarios get rid of that and solve that that 
just by themselves. But you know that scenario you get where you set up 24 inches away and it's a gun line? This army is, is not that fun to play in that one. It's lethal. Yeah. It's a bunch of massive ballistas blowing holes in your army with a crossbow gun line. You get there, your heroes die instantly from bombs, and then you've got the best troops in all of Middle Earth with the Urukai warriors chopping through whatever you have. It's 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 insanely good. <laughs> it's, it's really really good. Yeah. So that that's that. Yeah, change your up. argument's persuasive there. <laughs> I actually on a, on a total like never going to happen one. I wouldn't mind if they gave you a wall. So if someone brought bomb teams, they also had to give you a wall to hide behind. That would be cool. Well, there's this whole thing, right? You know, in in the new match play guide, we have the, like, siege scenarios. And I thought that might have been the beginning of, like, we're only going to see siege weapons being taken as, like, optional detachments in certain scenarios. And we'll see if they tend to go that way. But it's going to be, it's yeah, it's interesting because that little siege element... And I know it's something that Rob's really keen on too is siege specific scenarios. It will be interesting to see where they go with all that stuff. Yeah, I, I would... yeah, I can't see it happening sadly because it just requires everyone to have a nice big fort or something like that. And I know they brought out the Palisades kit and they're they're really nice, but um, I, I I just can't see it happening. And I know in in 40k they did that thing where you had fortifications added and stuff like that, but that's just not really the fellowship. It's not really Lord of the Ringsy. It, skirmish games where you bring a you know wicker fortress along with you doesn't quite fit in my head but who knows no i understand that as well but i i I, if they said okay this is a class of weapons that can only be used in these siege scenarios i would have no problem with that and i'd have no problem with organizers saying we're going to run a siege scenario at the start of day two so i'll provide the walls you bring your weapons and we'll have fun or something like that i'd have no problem with that that would be great yeah if it's a separate for a separate game, then I think that would be that would be great. Yeah. I mean, I love, tie, love the tie idea it of only to the scenario types. It'd be yeah, it's tied to the scenario types. It would work, but it'd be interesting moving forwards. Yeah, and look, some of the siege weapons I, I get as well, like things like the the Gondor machine gun one. I can see that being used in non siege ones if someone's got a defended position, but. Um, like so, it, I guess it's a slippery slope. Like, which ones do you allow? Which also, ones do you like, what is that doing in Middle Earth? <laughs> like, there oh, ain't no Avenger bolt thrower in Middle Earth. <laughs> I've I've ranted but about I that like before. It. Uni variety is cool. You know, those little things, those concessions are totally fine. But like, it is just a bit like, oh, cool. <laughs> we'll have a fantasies made an appearance in Middle Earth. It is what it is. You're still gonna get my siege bow, so I calm down. <laughs> <laughs> it adds i think it, it, those sorts of things do add to the game yes yeah, they, totally. they remove a little bit from middle earth but they they do allow for um that's good we like we like those game. concessions you're spot on Harry. Yeah. we yeah. Fla- gaming flavor is is very important too both a, yeah both in consideration yeah it is a game as well so it they do add to the game but um look i i think what we're saying here is that this change none of us are, are that totally against it lachlan doesn't like the legion because of its power but i think that's more the the static nature of it as much as anything then yeah then... full on i i don't have a problem with this just to clarify i think these changes are good i just i, I would have liked something a little bit more flavorful mm. on top of these like jeremy's suggestion with the random range or perhaps the heroic action interrupt which i think would be really dynamic for this static wall yeah just yeah. something to make them think it twice and and not have that reliability because the, the problem as well is the very good players uh go for reliable armies so they ended up making this this self-fulfilling prophecy where these armies become really good because they're really reliable. They're, they've got the ways to deal with everything in the game reliably. And that's what the bomb team does. You've got this reliable way of dealing with every single model in the game. So I guess the change is positive to it. And I don't honestly, I don't think for most people they're even going to notice it. No, that's true. 
Okay, and the next one. Oh, I'm excited about this one. I've been been talking about this this model, and this the gambling has been a staple of Rohan for a long, 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 long time, and has seen lots of lots of iterations. And at the moment, you've got gambling himself as one of the the better heroes. Well, not one of the better heroes, a really good hero on his own. But the Royal Standard, which hadn't changed for a long time, is an outstanding piece of war gear. So the change is that now instead of refreshing the might. So once the might goes down to zero of every Rohan hero within three inches, including Gamling, you now only choose one hero per turn. So you can last the whole game and keep doing it, but you can only do it to one hero per turn. So of course, you've got a choice now, and that's it's significantly less powerful. So I'm going to start with, with Harry on this one, because I want to hear your thoughts on, on Gamling, the, the changes. So, uh, I mean, to be honest... In the past, I wasn't that bothered by gambling. Yes, I've played against um, gambling and the the riders of Fed and Legion a few times, and uh, usually I was beaten by it. But I never, I never found that it was a horrible, horrible, disgusting um, rule that that was horrible. It, it, it was, it was annoying in the sense that you're always going to be outmited. Um, and maybe if you listen back to my podcast, you'd be able to hear my fresh reaction to it, and I might have, it might be a bit more extreme after I'd been beaten by it. But I, I never found it was a particularly bad, um, massively overpowered thing. And I actually think this is this has probably gone too far the, the wrong way in terms of it, it. It becomes less likely for people to choose it. I, th- I still think it's a very good piece of war gear. I mean, over however many turns a game is going to be, what four or five turns, something like that, and um, maybe more. You're gonna you're gonna get a good four bits of might back, and that's twenty points worth plus a banner. It's still it's still very good. So I can, I, I think I personally I, I think it's 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 probably about right, but I, I don't think it necessarily needed the change. To be honest, mm, didn't need a change. Okay, Lachlan, you uh, do you agree with that or do you disagree? What do you think? I have I have so many points to make. Okay, um, go go. So, <laughs> I, first of all, I, I guess there is a bit of a... I haven't been particularly vocal on this um, because there, there's obviously a bit of a perception uh, that because I play this list extensively um, can probably claim a little bit of credit for why it has become very popular is because I did a whole stream of content on why this this specific interaction is insanely powerful. Um, so there is, there's a bit of a perceived bias that, um, you know, I, I would defend it because of that. But first and foremost, I'm a rules writer. That's what I, and I care about game balance and stuff. Like I love Rohan from a theme point of view, but I've been playing what's effectively the Riders of Legion, Riders of Theoden Legion when it was terrible. And then all of a sudden it got cool through this new Legion. So yes, the, the Legion is very, very powerful. Um, it's, it's up there with, uh, before the Urukai thing came along and knocked him off the top, I would have said that Riders of Theoden and Rivendell Knights were the two best lists. Um, and, and part of it is because of this interaction and the amount of might you can leverage through gambling. I'm, I'm sort of in the same camp of, of Harry, uh, that, um, I didn't feel like it was desperate to be changed, but it was certainly powerful and perhaps, you know, I'm, I'm not sad that it has been toned back a little bit. So I guess my, my first thought is, then I feel like it's probably being toned back too far, but not a huge amount. But um, it is it is interesting. So I guess my the, the the first beat is when I look at how it used to operate. My record for the amount of might that I spent in a game at eight hundred points was forty six might, and at one thousand points Jeez. was fifty eight might. So that's how much might I was able to leverage 
through this ability to gain back and then spend over the course of a game. And those are my records. And I was regularly hitting close to those numbers with Mm. this force. So that's an insane amount of might being spent. And is that particularly interesting for your opponent to play against an opponent who's just always got might perhaps not but there's an argument to be made about having rohan act like rohan on the table and i have no interest in seeing rohan sitting up the back of the board shooting for 75 percent of the game and then making a charge on objectives in the last 25%. What I want to see is Theoden screaming death, the horns being blown, and Rohan just getting in there and going nuts and occasionally shooting as they're engaging if necessary. But I take a pure Royal Guard list because I think I just, I've got no interest in kiting. I did it for years and it really bummed me out in my soul. I just want to charge and, and reenact the Pelinor. So I love that the fact that this might surplus enables me to play Rohan like I want them to be played on the tabletop. And I think that's really important. Um, because we want armies to act thematically. But perhaps it, it, it was too powerful in its current iteration. So how how would I have, you know, maybe tweaked this change? How I actually initially thought it was, was that um, I thought the wording was that when a model, it, when one model is within range, it may gain um, a point of might back. And so I was like, okay, that's great. So when I've got Dernhelm in range, both Merry and Eowyn are still going to get that double might tap. Um, so I can still leverage that combination to get a little bit of extra might burn. Um, but obviously I, I've, I've lost a lot. So when I first read it and thought it was that, I was like, you know what? I'm happy with that. And then when I realized, no, that's not how it works. It's literally one hero getting one might. I felt that it had gone too far. Um, so I guess, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I feel about it. I know Jeremy's, uh, rebuttal may be about how, you know, the, the importance of, you know, gambling's banner being such a a big thing, (laughs) even though it's not really a big thing. Jeremy and I've chatted about that before. So I guess the, the other argument that we've seen a lot on the pages is people being like, is it worth the cost now or is it worth, or was it worth the cost before? Uh, and this whole kind of argument. Now, just like Harry, when Harry broke it down, if you look at the piece of war gear for 50 points, it's a banner. That's 25 points already. It's on a hero who has heroic defense. So mm. the banner's not going anywhere. And of course, it's still going to generate you, I would say, probably closer to seven to 10 might over the course of a game at least. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, so, so when you're looking at the points value, um, of the, the war gear item cost. I think it's fine, but it, you've got to consider item costs in the context of their army, which is why I was always defending it as not being over-costed, under-costed before, is it's because it's it's about the ability to create that might surplus so the army plays the way it needs to on the tabletop. So I would still, you know, I'd, I'd be unhappy if it was like, you know, less points. You could make this free, and it's like 50 points means nothing to me. That's three Royal Guard. I don't care about three Royal Guard. I care about what gambling can do. I'd still be just as unhappy if it, if it was less points because I just think the ability's just not crisp enough. It just needs a little bit more than only one might per turn. So it's nothing. The cost is not a problem to me. Leave it at 50, drop it down, put it up. I don't care. It's the ability that needs to be tweaked in the context of the overall army. But yeah, so... In saying that, I've been playing the army for, you know, years, but playing this edition for two years, and I haven't had a single game using the new changes, so I can't 
speak to it on the tabletop, but I can kind of crunch numbers and do math with a lot of experience with this force. But yeah, anyway, that's that's kind of my mm. long list of points. Jeremy, so hit for, me. Oh, I don't know. Or, or just, just, before, uh, just before you go, uh, based on what you said, does that mean you think it's not worth taking gambling anymore? Because you, you seem to imply no, that he's no, not. No, no, no. Oh, my opposite. God. Gambling is 100% in your list every time. Even with these debuffs, it's it's insanely good. I just think in the context of the army, it might not need to do – it might not do enough of what it needs to just, like, by a fraction. So this is this is that constant thing that I'm butting heads with people on forums is they don't understand the context of – you can't just consider a model's cost – against its stat line you have to consider the model's cost in the context of the space in which it exists and 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 a model in in its own right and its abilities in the space in which it exists so even though i'm saying i I think gambling has been debuffed too much i'm still taking him in every single list because that that rise of (laughs) faden list does not function without him um and um or at least the way i play it with high hero count you might be able to run a version Mm. with like three heroes and spam riders but like i said before i don't want to do that i want to i want to run the the way rohan should be run none of this i'm gonna gonna say Um, a point about that one in 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 riders of thaden Um, oh yeah yeah, no no no. good i'm glad you clarified that because i was gonna gonna go um, obviously you know rohan you know they do all sorts of sneaky ambushy shooting stuff but I just, I'd love Riders of Theoden to operate like that charge on the Pelennor and gambling, gambling being pulled back just too much. But don't uh, you already have that. a rule there? You've got a heroic like combat. Yeah, we got death. We got yeah, death. that's pretty good, and that's that it's definitely represents good. that. It's very good. I'm, 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 I'm talking. You know, like <laughs> I've said, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that him being pulled back is. Mm. too no, much you know like i think it's okay but I, I just think it might be a little bit too much so that that's my cons- that is my solution is yep. if dernhelm could still get the double tap i'd be totally fine with this okay i i um i don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying there i i i want to clarify some things i think uh one thing i don't like about rohan at the moment is that um there has been a way that's been the best way to play it and that's i like such a good point I like the variety, and this this one model, this captain, which we've talked about before, like this captain, it's, which is a bit player. He's not a main character. Has become the auto take. He's the first choice that goes in that army pretty much every mm. time if you want to compete with him. And I've got a problem with that. I don't necessarily like that. That is the the model that hero. If it was Thayden, I'm o- I'm okay with it. I don't necessarily like it, but I can see that. If it's if it's one of the big heroes, AMO or someone like that, I can understand it. I don't necessarily like it, but I understand it. But you've got this captain level hero holding a banner, which for some reason is better than everyone else's banner. Which I have a, a, a I'll get to that point in just a moment. But I would, I, I the actual mechanics of it, I wasn't against. I thought it was a bit over the top sometimes, but there's there's ways around it, of course. Uh, I know that David got up to like seventy something might in one of the games we played, and he was trying to do that, like he's. His aim in the game was just to get as much might as possible. So I think he used up a chunk on Maelstrom of Battle getting on the board. But that's just ludicrous, the amount of might he could generate. And he didn't care. He still could function as a full army. Um, and I, I have a problem with that, that the resource suddenly wasn't value. So it made might not particularly valuable, which it should be. And it should be important to the Rohan army. But I would have I would have loved it if it didn't have to be gambling. Like, let's put this mechanic on other models. Let's mean that... Someone else can carry a royal standard of Rohan or a special standard of Rohan or something like that. I would love it if other armies had royal standards. So um, the, the nerf version, I'm, I'm fine with it. I think it's incredible value at 50 points. I'd love if my Eastlings had access to that or um, anything, any sort of human noble type armies had access to a bigger banner, a better banner that, that they could enact. Um, 
it's only three inches. I know that people have a problem with that. I have. I don't care if it goes to six inches. It's not terrible for a banner. So if they if they want to compensate it, if it's gone too far, I'm fine with that. But my biggest problem with, with gambling was that he was Rohan. So so every time you saw a Rohan army in a competitive sense, it always had gambling. And your tactics are always, how do I get rid of this one captain level hero to stop the army working? And it felt more like, it didn't feel like Lord of the Rings. Like you wouldn't go to, to a Rohan battle and if you took out one of their captains, suddenly the army doesn't function anymore. It felt weird like that. So I... I would almost prefer that global rule, where like like the death rule, where the heroes all get the special rule in a certain instance. And I'd be happy if they had one about heroic moves or something like that, or had the ability to do a master of battle on heroic moves or something to keep them moving. But just the fact that it was all centered on this one guy who they then gave heroic defense to. So he became um, so, so hard to move. And he's still hard to move now, but I guess you don't want to just spend all his might on him. That's a bit bit poor if you spend it all on himself but i really like this change because i think it opened up some other rohan options and yes i think the riders of Thaden are still still the a tier in there like fight five royal guard are just just insanity and and still having the battle and still having death and all that sort of stuff but it means that some of the other rohan armies are more appealing and and even some of the ones that have might in other ways like um a or the young suddenly might get a get a run again so i'm looking forward to seeing rohan armies that aren't just scaling based uh, I wish that other armies had access to royal banners. I've got no problem with this change whatsoever. I actually, believe it or not, think it's it's relatively spot on. I don't mind it. And I'm actually going to go back to playing gambling now because for a while I didn't take him because I didn't want to be one of the many Rohan players because it's just really popular. So I just don't want every army to be Rohan in an event. So I was taking other things. But now I feel more comfortable going back to Rohan and playing it because... I feel like it's changed enough that I have to use the might now. I have to make choices. And I really like that. If, it, if it's gone too far, maybe I wouldn't I wouldn't mind if it even went to two a turn or, or anything like that. Like some change is better than nothing. But I just I like the idea that they're taking away from this one character being the Rohan army. Uh, I was just going to say, I find it really interesting that you guys have uh, this, from what I can gather, quite a, a negative experience of gambling in his original re, uh, D, original. Um, version because I, I i guess i just didn't come across him all that often as the the riders of third and legendary legion i yes i played it a few times and i did go to an awful lot of tournaments last year so i should have bumped into it more by the maybe it's because i'm playing in the middle and bottom tables or something but i i certainly don't know of many events where riders of uh, third and won um big events here in the uk so I don't know whether it just didn't latch on or uh, or what, but it never came to me as a as a massively overpowered force. Just because there are other issues with the 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 legendary legion that that, that you know, if you've got loads of terrain, it's very difficult to get you know, cavalry in there. All it takes is one um one uh, sort of roll dice roll off to go one way or the other to to counter those charges and ruin a th- a, 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 the day for everyone. So I don't know. Maybe I just. I didn't think it was massively overpowered, or maybe maybe we just didn't have very many good, super good players playing it all the time. But um, it, it never came to me as a, such a negative thing as you guys are acting it to be. It sounds like everyone in Australia has been just playing almost entirely uh, Riders of Fed and with with gambling <laughs> with the super bad. Not not quite. No, um, no, not not quite. You, but it, it's enough. Uh, you do, sorry, I've just knocked my computer everywhere. Uh, you do hit on a good point, is that even though it's got these kind of uh, seemingly easy power moves, like getting all the infinite might, the old version anyway, um, it, it, it isn't a, an army, and, and simply because it's an all-cavalry army, it isn't an army that a, a new 
or an inexperienced or even a lower to mid-tier player can use easily to maximize the the huge power. So um, you can – and Jeremy's always about, like, easiest army, infinite might. I've heard him go on about it before. But, like, easiest army, infinite it, might. It's not, it's, it's not, it, it, it can, that's, that's why, because it, it's an observation that's regularly made in defense of it not being powerful is that you don't see it topping the British tables a lot. I don't know why people over there clearly need to use it. Um, All the not, ballistas. Not trying to, yeah, yeah, that's right. Not trying to sound like an ass, but I, I have never not podiumed with this list in every tournament I've been to in the last five, uh, two years or however since it came out. Um, I've either come first, second, or third in every tournament I've been to, uh, and I've run this list every time. So it's it's really powerful, and particularly when you run it in the right way and you play it the right way, and when you get used to playing it and you practice playing it, it can be nuts. Are you um, sure you're not not just a really good player? No, definitely not. No, uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I wouldn't. I don't play often enough to be like a a top top tier player um but that and that's why i've only just been like i'm this is my favorite army this is my favorite list i'm just gonna play this so i don't have to kind of you know uh multi-skill especially with you know the whole conversation of hobby versus work um but uh so you know low model count as well it's it's all i just love everything about lots of heroes all my favorite characters so um i think it's it's it can be super powerful and and in addition to uh jeremy's point he makes an awesome point, and I'm certainly th- that y- it, it is weird that the army became gambling, and mm. that and I and I totally have no opposition to changing that dynamic because the army's not gambling thematically, but because of the weird mechanics that were built into it, suddenly because gambling did that, it made Rohan feel like Rohan. So I was like happy with that concession. But if you could still do that in other ways, like Jeremy suggests by, um, you know, having those extra elements instead of this super gambling banner, um, then I'd also be really open to that too. And I also love the idea of like having these kind of up banners being spread through other lists. Cause it's a really cool mechanic. So you know, in this in this low form, I wouldn't have that infinite version everywhere. That that's crazy. No, no, no. That's that's. Um, so maybe maybe you're right, Jez. Maybe it's a little you know up to six inches. Um, but honestly, like that whole question of like it has to be six inches or it's not worth it. I never need six inches of no, a banner anyway. With with this, he, he's on a horse. I'm only looking to affect those heroes on either flank, and then on the other flank, I've got another banner anyway that's running behind Aimer or whoever's leading up that second charge. So. I don't actually think going three inches to six inches would would improve him that much, but yeah, anyway, yeah, it's, so, yeah, it's on a model hairs. that can move. It, it's on a model that can move ten inches. I mean, why do you need to? It's like, exactly, you can put it anywhere. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, now well, I'm talking very passionately about it, but I am splitting hairs. I don't, I don't think this change is that far off the mark. I just think it could be. It's just almost a little too far. Did you throw your gambling in the bin, Lachlan? No, not at all. I haven't. I haven't even. You know what? <laughs> Been playing with it for two years. I still haven't done the freehand on my royal standard. <laughs> Get that done. That's it's gross. just been it's just been green this whole time. Every Get someone other to make a transfer army. for you or something. Get something. No, because I, re- I was like, I was gonna do like for... I was gonna do a tutorial on it, and it was all gonna become a thing. Because and then I just it just never happened. And <laughs> yeah, anyway, I always intended to get there. Mm. I like your idea, Jeremy, though, of having a banner, a equivalent banner in, in other armies, particularly Easterling or Candy or, or something like that. It, it would feel quite right, I think, to have a super oh, banner man. in those armies. Give me, give me the Kandish King with this Absolutely. banner. Oh, 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 oh. Absolutely. 
or even just a, a subclass of character, like a Banner Bear character, which is like a captain, but has the characteristics so you don't have to get it on everyone so yeah, yeah like the like the drummer who has a point of fate and maybe a slightly yeah. better banner effect that'd be cool be cool i'd be into that sort of stuff yeah, yeah. i would like that I, would, I wouldn't mind it even if the change was the rohan that say um some of the other guys could take it like a hama or a um a, a, even grimbold anything like that could someone else that was a minor hero could could carry it around i think that would be interesting as well because it feels it's that one character that always gets it it's always gambling and it's um can um can we hijack this conversation to talk about Grimbold's horse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you can't. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Do it, on. do it, do it. Does he have a horse? So, I'm sure in the movie he had a horse, didn't he? Yeah, so he has the horse, right? He's a he's a Rohan character. He has a horse. So the the reason so for those of you listening, Grimbold is is a fantastic Rohan character who can't take a horse in his list because his theme is uh, based off his major conflict at the Fords of Eisen, uh, where he held a, a wonderful shield wall on the central eyot of the of the Fords uh, to try and save Theodred. Uh, so he he is an infantry hero and he creates buffs to other infantry units. Rohan warriors can be upgraded to Helmingers, uh, which go to strength four and. That's the space in which he exists in the Rohan army. And I have no problem with that. But what I just, just he, he went to the Pelennor. He rode a horse. He leads an entire Ehred charging down one of the flanks. He is there in the books and the movies. Why not just give him the option to take a horse in the Legion that specifically represents that moment or in the Legion that specifically represents the Fords of Eisen, take the horse option away. So the, the, the big counter that we always hear to that is he's very powerful having his mighty blow special rule and the two handed weapon and adding a horse to any hero is such a force multiplier that he might then become more powerful than simply his base cost plus a horse cost to which my answer is then increase the base cost in that specific Legion where he gets the horse i just don't i just don't get it 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 just there's no it doesn't make sense why he doesn't have a horse it drives me insane you don't give him a you, horse rohan doesn't need any more heroes he doesn't need but jay's no, always on, jay's always yeah, on about like theme is the most important thing and he wants to do everything super true to tolkien but he won't give a rohan character a horse maybe no one's Who, ever yes. asked him Oh no, he has. He gave that specific exact uh, answer at um. Uh, I wasn't. It was. I think it was Warhammer Fest 2018 or one of the F8, one yeah, of the question true. and answer segments. How hard would it be to just say that he can't use his axe two handed and the mighty blow while he's on horse? Yeah, I mean, you could you could certainly do that. Just I mean, say it's, I, it's an it's a it's a two handed axe without mighty blow while he's on horse, and then take. I don't. I don't even know if I'd run him in Riders of Thayer and if he had a horse. He I don't even know if choice. I want him on the table. I just want the bloody. I just want him to have a horse because he should have a horse. Yeah, and it'll be easy in the Legendary Legion to just say he can't take the horse in that Legendary Legion. Like that's, that's exactly because that's where he was on foot. So yeah, anyway, it, it irks me. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's the key admission. So that's going to be our our next one that we go on about on about because now gambling's been been changed. Um, it'll be interesting yep. to revisit this in in like when we start playing games again and events go in and will, see, if, yeah. see if he's just shunned entirely. Cause I don't think so. I think the people who play oh, no Rohan way. will still oh. play Rohan and will still take him. And um, I think maybe some of the, the Rohan players that really like some of the other options might start taking them a little bit more like the, um, like, like, like um, a or the young or um, Helm, 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 Helm. Yeah, exactly. Helm does yeah, a similar that's, mechanic. That's, that's the dark horse now is Helm Hammerhand. Um, Ail the Young I, is, is only good up to about 400 points. 
I also think we'll see a lot more of Deawine. I think it's Deawine, the one that yeah. gets free heroic combats. Because mm-hmm. once you, or is it free heroic moves? I can't remember which one it is. So but free, anyway, one free of the... heroic combats if Theoden is engaged in a combat within uh, yeah. twelve inches of him, and then he must charge towards Theoden and join that yeah. combat if Love possible. It. And that sort of guy, I can see because you know it's a free heroic that that you wouldn't have got and you wouldn't have needed when you had a load of might. So yeah, um, I'd yeah. like to see more of him. It's very, maybe it's, that's it's, all the ploy. Maybe it's, it's all a ploy to get us to buy the new Forger model. It's a great, it's a great point, Jay. And <laughs> I was talking about that. That by this change, it has, it will make Deowine more important because a lot of the time I was never using that ability because Deowine was getting his might back for free anyway because he was right next to gambling in the formation I ran. So yeah, that that special rule will become a lot more important. I'm calling it. It's all because they've got loads of Deowine sat in the uh, warehouse. Yeah, well, who would buy that fat shield? <laughs> My God. Really? That's a, I love nah, that guy. <laughs> I love yeah, the sculpt. I, I, I love the sculpt. I just can't deal with the bin lid shield. It's too thick. <laughs> it, <laughs> it is, it is really thin. Yeah, I tried. Everything, tried. Else that, everything else that Keith did on that model was amazing. I think it was Keith. Uh, I can't remember now. But the, the model's stunning. It's just the shield's too thick. It is a really thick shield. I just assume he's just got like a, a like three shields and just like put them together to get extra protection. Yep, <laughs> goes up to D nine. <laughs> no, it's it's a good point, and I do think it does open up some of the options as well. It means that that um, what's the the Theodred Legion? I think is probably Theodred's Guard. Yeah, but that might get a bit more play as well because that's a pretty good legion as well on its own. Yeah, but, it's pretty solid. Pretty yeah, solid. But you compare and it that- to riders and. It wasn't up there, but maybe maybe some other people be attracted to it now. It's it's funny because we're also we always talk about Rohan and no no one ever talks about Piles of the Druidan. And that list That's is oh, yeah, so like bonkers. It's bonkers. The problem is it, it has a high buy in cost because you must yep. take Garn Burigan and the Wozes, and that's its drawback. But I think the worst the, the worst thing about that uh, is that you have to have don't you have to have like 15 because yes. he's a valor and then you only get 12 in the box oh, so you yeah. have to like i went on buy a, a huge rant about that in my video uh, yeah <laughs> oh. it's so annoying because um, i i would definitely do that i would be yeah. well up for that legion but i already have a gan burigan and no way i have to buy gan again yeah um and then i'd have to buy gan again so no, it'd be was, gan again gan a, again and you'd, genuine uh, oversight that they should have repackaged silly. that in 15 and the yeah, reason really why should. they didn't the reason why they didn't is because their mold makes 12 and oh, so yeah, okay. the package in boxes of 15 would mean that for every box they'd need to mold, yeah, yeah. you know, 130. Makes sense. 125%. And, and that's that's too much work in the warehouse. That's that's why that's been done, guaranteed. Fair. Okay, fair enough. It's frustrating. It's, 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 it is. It's, yeah, Harry, it let's, means... let's talk afterwards. Let's talk after the episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, sorry. I'll, I'll get off. I've segued too hard with Grimbold there and set us down a dark path. Uh, Jeremy, please <laughs> it, see, please write the ship. No, I just don't do it. I just let it go. It's, it's more fun that way. Uh, yeah, look, I I think we've talked a lot about these changes, and and I'm very rarely I'm I am in favor or don't care about FAQ changes, and this time it's one of the few times that it has. So I would like to think that that actually we're getting better at the changes. And I, what I like about this totally. is there's no sweeping changes. There's no – it's specific models that we're targeting because they had specific problems. So I really yep. like that we didn't change all banners or we didn't change all might mechanics or we didn't change all siege weapons. We've changed specific ones. And I think the changes, maybe they're too big, but they're not they, – they are little changes. They're incremental changes. So I think there's a lot more possibilities of, of writing it if it's not right later on. It's not – we're not fundamentally changing how these models work. 
we're just making little small steps and and if it's too far, I'm sure Jay will get onto it and, and fix it up. I, I yep. he, he's, he's nice Spot and active. On. So Agreed. I'm happy with that. Um I think that, that might be it for us for, for this episode. That's been a lot of we've got a good talk and a lot of good content. So um yeah, is there any we've been going a while. Jeez, we can run our mouths, can't we? <laughs> yeah, who who would have thought? <laughs> Yeah, something about liking the sound of our own voices. So if there's anything else you guys want to want to put in there, extra plugs or anything else? No, not really. No, I, I, it's been just a pleasure to join you two chat over the internet. Yeah, it's just been awesome, guys. It's uh, it's really nice. Bit of a hobby connection in a disconnected world. It's been lovely. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jez, and always good to talk, Harry. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be great. Eventually, uh, you alluded to it that, you know, Articon uh, hasn't happened this year, but maybe next year or maybe uh, uh, we can we can meet each other in the flesh and, and record some exciting in the flesh podcasts and filming stuff. Indeed. Indeed, man. Absolutely. I'll try and I'll try and make uh, try and make Jeremy come. But I know he's a busy, busy boy. Work family. It's a tough one. Uh, what, if it's if we can lock down the dates and things, it, there's always possibilities. Okay, so uh, thank you very much both for coming on. I've, I've enjoyed this episode. I know it's been, as we said before, self-indulgent, but they all are, really. And I promise I'll get you two on for an army review episode at some point uh, when we get that. I've been putting off the Rohan episode, and I'm, I'm actually really glad I have because of the changes to gambling. So we give some time to play through those and see how it goes. But thank you for coming on, and thank you listeners for, for listening through this. Uh, we'll get back to some normal content. At some point in the future, I'm not going to make any guarantees because I'm just going to break my promises if if I do. So, thank you for coming on. And remember, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. The Green Dragon Podcast discusses tabletop wargaming using the Middle Earth strategy battle game rules for Games Workshop. We have no affiliation with Games Workshop, Warner Brothers, New Line, Tolkien Enterprise, or anyone else involved in Tolkien's universe. We're on our own. Thank you to our patrons for your support. You can become a patron at www.patreon.com slash thegreendragonpodcast. You can contact us via our Facebook page at The Green Dragon Podcast or on our email, thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Not so sure about that plural. This podcast is for entertainment, so please take it that way. Farewell, listener. The road goes ever on and on.